This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Tuesday morning, folks. You made it another day. Congratulations, and now you're off to it. Off to change the world, right? Or at least survive today. Hey, happy Paul Bunyan Day. Hey, Paul. I'm coming, boys. I'm coming, boys. You gotta love Paul Bunyan. He's the guy that, uh, you know, made being a logger (laughs) popular occupation. He made me want to be a logger growing up. Did he? Yeah. Did he? Originated in the oral tradition of North American loggers dating back to the mid-1800s. And now, to this day, you'll catch uh, Ben wearing plaid every day and carrying an axe, which, yeah, yeah, that's dangerous. Yeah, HR usually takes it away from me. Yeah. But, um, I like the plastic one you've got, though. That's a great replacement. It's also International Caps Lock Day, which means on your computer, you can lock in your caps lock and just scream at everybody via text and email. So finally, it's legit to scream. Uh, happy days, folks, are here again. We've got a great uh, show coming up for you today. Remember, this is the show. We try to give you the information that's relevant uh, to your life, not just give you the news. In fact, you'll find, you'll find a lot of times we actually just laugh about the news. Um, but in the end, there are certain things that we just have to learn and get through and understand. So we like to take deeper cuts. Today, we're going to be bringing on a guest that will be talking about the truth about common beauty myths. Um, there's certain things we believe about beauty, like, for example, that there's this perfect female body shape and size measurements, you know, that supposedly Barbie and uh, or supposedly probably more Playboy was supposedly the ideal. We're going to find out that that's probably just a myth, that there, there may not be an ideal type. We'll find out. We'll be getting into that and really the impact about how we look at beauty um, and how it impacts lives, especially lives of women today um, who seem to be on the front end of a lot of that. It's weird because a lot of men, I don't know, we don't talk about our beauty. There's so many sarcastic angles I want to yes, take. Yes, I know, don't. But all I see is pitfalls and problems for myself. Smart. See, that's called learning. But in saying that, we're all thinking of those sarcastic No, terms. Just, there's this like really robust internal commentary going on, right. but I'm withholding. And because... it's all inside of your – see, that is such progress. But, but in a way, you've already said those sarcastic things. No, no, not saying... at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, no, he's holding them all back. Yeah. And he knows that you know every night now his wife goes through the show and slowly hears everything that he says and then she corrects him. Oh, she knows. She knows. Oh, she's lived with you. Yeah, but – but what's great is you know what you know. It's growth. Right. It's progress. I'm way. becoming a more complete human being. Mm-hmm. No, totally. I've been telling you that for years. Uh, let's uh, do this, too. We've got uh, that coming up. We'll get into all of the topics about beauty myths and um, maybe blow up some of those for you. And also just show you that um, maybe your looks, we've kind of demonized them like it's such a shallow thing to think about. but. There are some very positive benefits that come from how we feel about ourselves. So 
we'll get into that also. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines and uh, let's introduce really, I guess, Sadie Nielsen for the first time doing the headlines. Sadie, welcome to the show. What's going on around the rest of the country? All right. Thank you, Matt. So it looks like Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren have sealed a powerful alliance Monday that could help unify the Democratic Party and give Donald Trump nightmares. The Massachusetts senator is on Clinton's shortlist of potential vice presidential running mates. But campaigning with the presumptive Democratic nominee in Cincinnati, Warren demonstrated she will be a vital ally in any capacity. Warren was late to endorse Clinton, but seemed to be trying to make up for it by saying Hillary has brains, she has guts, she has thick skin and steady hands. But most of all, she has a good heart, Warren declared. Also about Clinton, another batch of emails from Hillary Clinton's residents at the State Department were released to the conservative legal advocacy group Judicial Watch. In this new set, there were almost three dozen emails that the presumptive Democratic nominee failed to turn over last year that were sent through the private service she had set up. Also, there were 34 emails exchanged from her private account to the Deputy Chief of Staff, Uma Abedin. The emails were not among work-related thousands that had been previously turned over to the agency. Also in Trump news, um, according to Trump national spokeswoman Katrina Pearson, the proposed complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States was never a ban on all Muslims. Uh, During a Monday interview, Pearson said that despite her candidate's own initial words, that was not the case. The ban was for Muslim immigration. Pearson also claimed that Trump's recent revisions to his proposed anti-Muslim policy are not really changes at all. She added that Trump's original suggestion of a total shutdown was just a line that he read from the policy. Also in Trump news, he has hired uh, a former Ted Cruz spokesman person. Uh, He hired a top communications consultant who worked on Senator Ted Cruz's unsuccessful presidential campaign. A Republican with the knowledge of the hiring says Jason Miller will serve as Trump's senior communications advisor. Trump's communications are handled by Hope Hicks, a loyal but inexperienced spokeswoman. The hire comes as Trump tries to build out his campaign for a general election after a week after firing campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. And finally, we have From Brexit to Regrexit. Uh, An online petition was created by British citizens demanding a second vote on Britain's decision to leave the EU. By Sunday morning, over three million people had signed the petition on the official UK Parliament website. That number will take it well over the 100,000 signature threshold needed to force a debate on the issue by members of Parliament. A rush to sign the petition caused the website to crash temporarily due to the high volume of traffic Saturday. So... Moral of the story, read something before you sign it. Yes, Sadie. Great moral. We have the news and morals of the stories. This is awesome stuff. Good job, Sadie Nielsen. And um, wow, uh, the regrexit. Is that what they're calling? Well, as I was talking about yesterday, that uh, the, uh, the, the petition that was signed is kind of the equivalent of a uh, whitehouse.gov petition. Right. Which I believe people have... Uh, they petitioned the government to see if they were going to build a uh, Star Wars-type Death Star <laughs> yeah. space station. Uh-huh. And it reached a certain threshold, so the White House had to comment because that's how the pro- how their program they set up works. So if you get so many you signatures, so many, yeah, then the, we'll talk the, about it. They officially came out and said they will not build a Death Star. Oh, did Josh – what's his name say that? The it, was, it was a press release. Because I would love to watch him talk about the Death Star. They might have actually you know, kind of – they're funny. There's some funny things. They were hoping to not have it go to this angle, but of yeah. course it's the internet and it does. Likewise, reports yesterday saying the petition signed in, uh, in England over Brexit to uh, – you're calling yeah. it regrets it or yeah. whatever. Uh, 39,000 of the signatures came from Vatican City. Which has 800 actual occupants. Residents, yeah. 
One's the Pope, right? Yes. So, yeah. So, so I guess they had a lot of visitors that day. Uh, maybe. Maybe sleeping in a bed and breakfast. Yeah. So there's some evidence that the petition might have been, <laughs> you know, hijacked. A, a little bit. bit of a problem there. And so, you know, the Brexit thing, it's interesting because now all of the fallout, apparently the markets have lost $3 trillion yeah. since the Brexit announcement. $2 trillion the first day and another trillion in the last 24 hours, uh-huh. I guess. I mean, I remember when I lost my first trill. Really? Hmm. Big day. It was a big day. <laughs> $3 trillion because of one guy that looks like Donald Trump. Well, Ral- there's another guy. Rallying. There's two guys out. that are kind of. Are they, the guy, are the they together that, on it? The guy that looks like Trump's been around London. You know, doing He's in the mayor, right? He, he was the mayor of London during the Olympics. And I heard someone yesterday say that it's different because now he he apparently is the the leader. His name's Boris something, but he's he's uh, the leader to take over as prime minister. Mm. Well, he was the mayor of London, and people liked him. Yeah, as he was, you know. And I heard someone describe you know, the job of mayor. It's kind of hard to be Republican or Democrat about taking out the trash. Yeah, yeah. Keeping the the garbage trucks moving, just keeping gotta, the water yeah. company go. I mean, you, it's the ugly side of the you're job. dealing with the kind of everyday life of people. Mm-hmm. Whereas you jump out to the the bigger government, the federal government, it's more bigger ideas, and you're not dealing with garbage pickup. Um, it's it's an interesting deal because you know now there's all of a sudden these kind of hate crimes, more hate crimes going on around Europe, and um, it's kind of sad. There uh, there were reports that people were in the streets yelling at immigrants, saying, "Now you have to go home. Mm. We're leaving the EU. Out. You have to leave now." Out. And they're like, "Well, that's not what we said, but that's kind of they didn't not say it, I guess, when it came to the." That's whole what leave my campaign. father-in-law says. Like when he's done with us, like after family <laughs> dinner or whatever, he's just like, "Okay." Go home now. Good to be with you. Don't let the, don't let uh, let the cat out when you leave. And he just kind of walks away. Don't you want to do that sometimes? Though? Oh, I'm excited. You have visitors that. over, and you're no. like, "Okay, get out." You know what I've been doing lately, and it's just not very effective. But I just kind of walk to my bedroom. I just walk away. <laughs> Bye. Everyone's talking, and but I'm just like, I don't even have the energy to say goodnight mm. because I get up like two hours before anyone else in my house. So lonely. I'm always looking at my wife like, we're out of here, right? It's 7.30. Got to go. Got to go. Daddy's got to Daddy's gotta take his pills and go to bed. Good stuff. Did you hear um, uh, legendary Pat, uh, Coach Pat Summit died? Yes. Like the winningest coach. In women's basketball history. In women's history. basketball history. That is amazing. 64. Diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And then her son had his little problem. Uh, it's just... How many games? 1,098 games. She won 1,098 games in 38 years. Her teams made an unprecedented 31 consecutive appearances in the NCAA tournament. Unbelievable. And she won a huge amount of those. I'm looking for the number. It's incredible. You know, you don't see, you don't see this level of just kind of separation in talent. Um, Anywhere else in sports, really? Can you think of anybody that has had as, as strong of a winning career as she has? No, because usually they try to uh, adjust the league so it's not so lopsided. Yeah, see, they twist it, they tweak it. But with college basketball, that's tough to do because it's recruiting. If the players right. agree to come to your school, they come to your school. What do you do? What do you do? Um, so, talk to me. There's um, Hillary Clinton. Yes, she's. She did a press conference. She had a rally. A rally. Is that what we're calling it? That's what it was. 
Yeah. She was at a rally, I believe it was in Ohio, with Elizabeth Warren. And by the way, they wore the same color. Apparently, I was reading yesterday, the jacket Elizabeth Warren is wearing is a very popular style among the Washington, D.C. Uh, female leads. legislatures. Oh, really? And it's a $900 jacket. Oh, really? I'm looking at it yesterday going, really? That's 900 bucks. And, like and Elizabeth Warren is the one that's really big about pushing against Wall Street and Absolutely. equality. Yeah. And No, that's not to demean her. No, I just, no. I, just looking at the idea that this is a, a popular jacket and I don't really see the value. Right. But again, women fashion, I don't understand. No. Maybe we'll understand something more after the well, next guest. exactly. <laughs> Talking about beauty and how, how society looks at it. Different story, though. So Hillary Clinton gets... The not the uh, the endorsement from the first Elizabeth time Warren. Elizabeth Warren has endorsed her. They've been playing this sort of dance where Elizabeth Warren will not officially endorse her for some reason. And, and she loves Elizabeth Warren because uh, Elizabeth Warren is the pit bull that takes on the Don. Yes. Which right. is what a vice president does. Right. They kind of yeah. take the, the hit that way. Um, Let the president be above it. In fact, uh, this is what um, this is what uh, Clinton says. Why she? One reason she likes how uh, Warren takes on Trump. And I must say, I do just love to see how she gets under Donald Trump's thin skin. As Elizabeth made clear Donald Trump proves every day he's not in it for the American people he's in it only for himself and Elizabeth reminds us of that every chance she gets because it is really important that voters here in Ohio and across America understand this she exposes him for what he is temperamentally unfit and totally unqualified to be president of the United States. Wow. They're ganging up on him. Yeah. We'll be hearing a lot more of that from both sides against the other side. Yeah. Until the election. <laughs> um, Trump, however, would just say what? Crooked Hillary and then something about Elizabeth Warren not having yeah, – being a liar or second to or whatever yeah, he calls he'd, her. Yeah. He'd make some comment. She said a while back that she has 5% Native American ancestry. Yeah. And now people are asking her to take DNA tests yeah, to it. expose prove that you're it. a liar. It's like, Come really? On. Prove it. Um, they also uh, – she made – Hillary talked about the fact that so many people don't trust her and she doesn't like it when people are talking about that. A lot of people tell pollsters they don't trust me. Now, I don't like hearing that. And I've thought a lot about what's behind it. And, Emails. you know, you hear 25 oh, years worth of wild accusations, anyone would start to wonder. And it certainly is true. I've made mistakes. I don't know anyone who hasn't. Mm -hmm. So I understand people having questions. Okay, now, maybe emails? we can persuade people to change their minds by marshalling facts and making arguments to rebut negative attacks. But that doesn't work for everyone. You can't just talk someone into trusting you. You've got to earn it. It's isn't, true. But isn't she just talking yeah. people into trusting her? Like, there's you can fix it. Mm -hmm. 
just give all the emails or well as we just learned in the news with sadie earlier yeah. there are more emails there's more emails like more came out so yesterday. we could trust you if you just bring those out and the and all of the calendar things that are missing mm-hmm. just show us where those went calendar entries meetings that have gone unrecorded that are but, supposed I mean, to be again i think this is with all politicians this isn't just hillary i'm no. tired of them thinking that we don't have a brain like it's like we don't you're pay not it. talking us out of this right we don't pay attention to the details and we're just going to gloss over things and believe you they're not just scandals be because consistent. somebody made it up i mean mm-hmm. they're scandals because the fbi is investigating period not to be rude but she doesn't like it yeah well who does she's thought about it yeah and she's thought about it a lot it's interesting how she was talking so much slower there yes there's, there's almost a uh, she's being serious a folksy sort of yeah hey pal come on rhythm to it come on yeah just come on Give me your money. <laughs> Being all nice. Anyway, folks, thank heavens. Um, thank heavens. You don't have to be, you know, part of that every day of your life. The rest of us just go to work, you know. We just try to deal with everything that we got to deal with. Got to pay the bills. And you got to deal with your looks, right? Common beauty myths. We're going to be talking about them and discussing an interesting article about uh, face value, the hidden ways beauty shapes women's lives. Some interesting debunking of myths as well. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, feel better about yourself and to see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, fashion trends fade in and out, and with them, the idea of beauty shifts just as frequently. What was considered the ideal woman 40 years ago looks entirely different in today's society. So what exactly is it that influences the idea of beauty, and how does this impact the lives of women? Joining us today is Autumn Whitefield Medrano. She is the um, author of Face Value, The Hidden Ways Beauty Shapes Women's Lives. Her book takes a deeper look at the relationship between appearance and uh, science, social media, friendship, and many other societal influences. Uh, Autumn Whitefield Medrano, we welcome you to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Um, now, talk to us about your background. How did you, what, you know, what led you into this field of beauty, appearance, I guess, other than just being born a female? You know, it's funny. I have, you know, certain professional qualifications. I, um, I've been working in women's magazines for most of my career, but I started at Ms. Magazine, so like, you know, this flagship magazine of the feminist movement. But really, my number one qualification for writing about beauty is being a woman who thinks about these things. I mean, and that's what I think is so interesting. The pressure, the changing standards, um, and and just, I don't know, the influx of now social media and the ability to spread images around, It's it really seems like the book that you've, you've written is this convergence of all the new technologies plus, plus really an in-depth look at the latest uh, and greatest research about – um, some of these kind of, I guess, historical beauty myths. What are some of the myths that we have to blow up? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, one of the myths is that I think people tend to be very either-or in where they think beauty standards come from. 
there's like the camp, there's the evolutionary psychology camp that says, okay, beauty standards have more or less been the same for centuries. And so it's built into us and the things that we find beautiful signal fertility and reproductive health so we can't change them. And then there's the camp that says, no, these beauty standards are cultural. I mean, as you pointed out, the ideal woman today looks somewhat different than she did 50 years ago. Mm. It'll probably look different in 50 years. And that camp is like, okay, these beauty standards are malleable, which means that they're, to some degree, political. So what can we do to shift them and change them when they, when they become harmful? And what I found in my research is that it's, you know, surprise, it's both. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's both, and it's individual, and it's just a really complex relationship between what we find beautiful and, you know, this concept, this almost philosophical concept of beauty itself. It's uh, it's funny how every specialist is going to redefine it their way, uh, exactly. right? It's it's our DNA for some. It's no, it's our it's our socialization. We socialize these beauty these beauty standards, these beauty norms. But one of the things in your research too, I, I notice is that so, some of the things that we thought were kind of an absolute, and I guess it's kind of. I guess that would be more an evolutionary approach. It would be, I mean, just just the measurements, right? The the typical ideal measurements of a female. Yes, I mean the classic example there is the waist hip ratio. Right. And what what that that's about is, I mean, think of the classic hourglass curves, which have been a mark of beauty for centuries. You know, the small waist, the bigger hips, and that has been a mark of beauty for centuries. So uh, certainly, well. It's been a market beauty for centuries, and so researchers have tried to get even more specific. Instead of just saying, oh, we like curvy hips on the women, um, what they've tried to do is get the precise, exact <laughs> measurement and ratio. And in 1993, uh, these researchers did exactly that. They studied um, icons of beauty, Playboy centerfolds, and Miss America contestants hmm. specifically, and measured or took their measurements, did the calculations, and decided that... <laughs> The ideal waist-hip ratio was within 0.02 points of a 0.70 ratio. I mean, <laughs> this incredibly detailed right. measurement, when in fact, later studies showed that that wasn't really the case and that the measurements weren't 100% correct. And so our our idea of beauty is actually a lot more forgiving than we give it credit for, but there's still this inc- intense attention paid to these minute aspects of beauty, when really I think the human eye is a lot more generous than that. No, absolutely. And just, I mean, attraction is is subjective anyway, right? I mean, sometimes you won't even see the female, but you'll hear her playing a piano. At a you know at a at an event or something, and all of a sudden you're still attracted. So, and there's more to it, I guess, too. And and that's one of the things I, I liked about what you're doing is you you did also uh, interviewing. You went around and interviewed a lot of women as well to try to figure out how this research and how the pressures have impacted them. What what did you find out through interviewing? What I found. You know, it's funny, when I started writing about beauty and interviewing women about beauty, I expected to find some sort of correlation between how a woman, how a woman either felt about herself or her general attitudes about beauty and sort of her how conventionally beautiful she was. I went in there sort of thinking that maybe there would be some sort of rhyme and reason there, and there absolutely wasn't. It was really interesting. And in fact, at a certain point, I just started interviewing people over the phone more because I learned pretty quickly what they looked like genuinely didn't matter. Hmm. And that was that was really interesting to me. Um, what I learned was that there wasn't, there wasn't one story. I think we're sort of told, because there are a lot of pressures on women to look a certain way, 
And we're told that that pressure makes women feel bad about themselves. And what I learned is that that is a problem, absolutely, but that it's most women have a much more rich relationship with their self-image than just, oh, I don't look like the magazine, so I don't feel good about myself. A lot of women, it goes up and down. You know, they might feel great about themselves one day and not so great the next. It wasn't like this linear relationship. It, was, it wasn't some sort hmm. of trajectory about learning to just, you know, accept who you are. It's a, it's a lot more contradictory than that. It's, and I guess it's and dynamic, right? It's constantly in flux? Exactly. Dynamic is the perfect word there. And it's shaped, you know, by your mood. What I find is that it, my mood absolutely affects how I feel about my, my looks. It doesn't actually change how I look, you know, unless I'm frowning or something. You're not going to be able to tell just by looking at me. But it affects what I see in the mirror, absolutely. Hmm. And, and that's, I mean, one of the points you brought up in your article as well was um, uh, about makeup, too. And I know you talk about it in the book because, I mean, even we, we, sometimes makeup has a bad, you know, image in the world because – you know, it's somebody trying to put on a facade, a fakeness. But you said some of the research actually validates that it, it makes people feel better. Yes. A lot of women report feeling more confident when they're wearing it, um, and what's under, which to some degree makes sense because, sure. you know, makeup makes you look conventionally better. Well, so by the way, a- uh, I feel better when I'm wearing clothes. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so call me. I'm covering up totally. <laughs> exactly. Like, And that doesn't mean that you're ashamed of who you are or ashamed of what you look like. And I think that we've really come to frame makeup as, as that, as some sort of like, oh, well, you don't like how you look, so you have to change it. And I think most women, there are some women who do feel like they need to change how they look. Um, And that's, you know, that's, that's deeply unfortunate and worthy of concern. But I find that most women, they're wearing makeup to look more like themselves, if that makes sense. Like in my mind's eye, I'm a lot more, I look my best all the time. I look like I'm well-rested and, you know, well-fed and well-hydrated when in, you know, reality, I don't always look that way because I don't get enough sleep and I don't always eat right. But with makeup, I can kind of fake it. And so I find that it just makes me look more like my best self. Mm -hmm. No, I I think we we all want to to have some advantage to look or be our best self. And um, one of the things, too, that was really interesting about what I'm, I'm learning um, through your work is that th- this is a process of, um, of achieving beauty, right? Uh, the idea of beauty has, has kind of it, – it's, it's a process. Um, it's not just a thing. It's not just makeup, is it? It's not just our body. It's not just exercise. To talk about the process of achieving. Well, it's it's interesting because I think that a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of time, money and resources are poured into making us more beautiful, both on an individual level and on a collective societal level. But one of the things that I would like to see change about beauty is I don't want to see us treat it as a goal, as something that we are always striving toward, because the fact is, Beauty is one of those things that because it is sort of unquantifiable, you can always argue that there's never enough of it. You never have enough right. of it. Um, and I know that that's some plastic surgeons warn of that. They say that, okay, someone comes in, they've never liked their nose, they get their nose fixed, they walk away, they feel great. Other clients walk in there, they get their nose fixed. Then that's not enough. They want their, their chin augmented, and then they want an eye lift. Mm. And I think that that's, that's something that we really, I, I don't want to treat beauty as an achievement for that exact reason. You know, it's really a rabbit hole that we can all fall into. 
And, and really, we can find we can find it in us now. It exists in us now. Absolutely, and that is one of the things that I think is really nice about makeup is that it can bring out what is already there. You know, just by using some art, basically. Yeah. Let's um, let's take a break. We're speaking with Autumn Whitefield Madrano, and if you, there's a bunch of different ways you can uh, get more information from her and 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 her work. If you go to her website, the uh, the dot com, that's a blog she started a while ago. She also um, obviously is uh, talking to us today about uh, her book, Face Value: The Hidden Ways Beauty Shapes Women's Lives. You can also go to her website, autumnwhitefieldmadrano.com. We're talking about beauty, the impact it has on our heads and our hearts. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about men and beauty and some of the myths also that we need to continue blowing up and uh, how to see people for who they truly are. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, you're killing us, ladies. Come on. Joining us on the line is Autumn Whitefield Madrano. She is the author of the book Face Value, The Hidden Ways Beauty Shapes Women's Lives. And uh, she's uh, she's been featured and appeared in many of the uh, females female magazines, Marie Claire, Glamour, Salon, um, you name it, plus other other uh, organizations like The Guardian as well. Interesting insight, folks, that we're receiving there. You know, beauty, it's it, it kind of gets a bad rap a lot of times. Um, and so based on some a lot of research and a lot of interviews, Autumn Whitefield Madrano has put together the book and is walking us through the myths we need to blow up about beauty and also, you know, maybe how to how to how to position ourselves. And and even I, I mean, I'm thinking about this for my children and um, and others that I influence so that they can they can really try to find their inner beauty. Autumn Whitefield Madrano, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Talk to me about um, society. I mean, beauty. It's it's interesting. As a guy, I um, I I should probably worry more about how I look, but I don't. And uh, my wife tells me I should too. But. <laughs> Talk to me about the pressures and some of the research you found about men and women and beauty. You know, we're at a really interesting time with men's relationship to beauty Um, in the sense of just on a pure level of like the beauty market, it's exploded for men in the past 10 years. Um, You know, once upon a time, men would go to the store and there'd be, you know, maybe an aftershave and some razors. And now... Now, I mean, the product is it's one of the fastest-growing segments of the beauty industry is products for men. And it's funny. After, when I tell this to women, sometimes the reaction is, oh, good. Well, now they know what it's like for us. <laughs> and I understand the response. I absolutely do, because there is an undue burden placed upon women that men haven't really had. But I'm really wary of it as well. I think because what we're doing is we're telling men that they're, we're, we're increasing the amount of pressure on them to look a certain way, to groom themselves 
um, beyond just basic hygiene, but to look to meet like a certain standard. But we're not giving them the playful aspects of beauty. Because, yeah, okay, women, we have to meet this beauty standard. But if we want to like paint on, you know, like winged purple eyeliner and put nail art on our fingernails, we can do that. And no one looks twice about it. They, they think it looks cool. Yeah. But if men do that, there's, there's still a big stigma that goes along with that. You're very much, for a man to wear eye, eyeliner, he's still very much an outlier if he does that. And so I think that there's still a deep restriction on men. They're sort of in this weird in-between place. They have to look right, but they can't take the outright joy in it that women are permitted to. And, I mean, even something as simple as um, a lotion for men uh, that, I mean, I didn't grow up with men having their own lotion, and now I have a teenage boy that can't go to school if he can't use the lotion for men. Exactly, and it, and it's so funny because I know that you know obviously there are some lotions that are fragranced, you know, yeah. in a way that is traditionally associated with, with women. There's plenty of unscented lotions out there mm-hmm. that are for men and women, right? But yeah, then there's just lotion for men. Uh-huh. Like, what is what does that even mean? I don't know, know, but he likes it a lot. Shot? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's funny because you, I see my teens much more involved in their look. I mean, maybe I guess I was that way back in the day. I guess it's because you just found the joy of the opposite sex. But mm-hmm. um, it's a, I guess a lot of this is, is seemingly natural. But then too, like you're saying, there's a, there's it's starting to open up for men to be able to to um, show and, and differentiate themselves um, and, and by just even their haircuts, their styles. Talk about the the impact social media has on all of this. Oh gosh, social media has been. I mean, forgive me the tired phrase, but a game changer. Um, in that we're all so much more aware, not just how we look. I don't think it's changed our awareness of our of how we actually look, but rather we are constantly curating our own images. We're constantly choosing what we want to show the world, and we're showing the world a more multifaceted part of ourselves. Um, and you see that more and more with newer social media like Snapchat, where it's so ephemeral, you know, it comes and it goes, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to something more, a little more old school like Facebook. Um, I think what it's doing is it's making, there's actually, this has been documented for men specifically, it has made them more likely to objectify themselves, to treat themselves as an object, as something to be looked at, instead of a body to be lived in. And I think that that's very interesting, because it's something that traditionally has been ascribed to women. You know, we, we have long been the decorative objects throughout history, so we've sort of self-objectified. But with social media, we're seeing the biggest change now with men, and I find that really interesting. Does and as we age, it's interesting too because now we're living longer than ever before. We have more technology to help us. We have more, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals to help us. Is I guess what happens to us if if we have a life where our our maybe our outer beauty becomes so. A priority that our inner beauty hasn't yet been able to see the light. Does that naturally just change as we age, or does it end up becoming a problem for us that maybe induces more psychological problems the older we get? Well, you know, right now, most people report being happier with their looks as they grow older. Hmm. And I think that that goes hand in hand with that sort of inner beauty that you're speaking about. Um, we'll see how that changes, because this is research done on people who are older now, you know, step, step right. above. 
So once it becomes the norm to be living till you're 90, 100, beyond, um, I'll be interested to see how that changes. But it makes a certain sort of sense because the older you get, the less self-conscious you get. And the less self-conscious you get, the more sort of comfortable you are in your own skin. Do, do you f- inner oh. beauty versus outer beauty, I mean, it's not a trade-off. We can all have all, right. <laughs> we can exactly. have all of it. And also... The way that a person, and we've all had that experience of meeting someone who is stunningly gorgeous, and in two minutes of talking with them, they become less attractive because there's something unappealing about them. And vice versa, you meet someone who's sort of okay looking, and then the more you get to know them, the more their inner beauty shines, and you liter- your eyesight, it's almost like your eyesight actually changes when you see them. Yeah. And that's a documented phenomenon. So our inner, they're not strictly separate. It's that is such an interesting thing because as I work with clients, um, it it has never I haven't understood some of the most beautiful uh, people on the outside. I have found uh, have have such a what's the word um, almost an emptiness. It's it's almost like mm. how they've been treated because of their beauty. Um, they they never felt. They never, and it was, I don't think it was because of them. It's almost like they were objectified. So everything that they were always told was about their their objective beauty. Um, but they, they seemed to struggle a little bit on the inside to believe that they were worth more than their looks. And, you know, I don't know about uh, studies that support sort of like personality qualities going hand in hand with conventional beauty. But to some degree, that does make a certain amount of sense that if, if everyone has only propped up your outside, if that's the first thing everyone compliments about you, and if that's sort of what you're known for, then it might be easy to believe that that's what you mm-hmm. have to offer the world. And I think that that's really a shame. But then, you, you know, I think so much of that has to do with upbringing yeah. and family. Parenting, and, right. Yeah. Because yeah. that same is true with a child that's a really strong athlete, and all mm-hmm. we talk about is their athletic ability. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, people you know, are funny. much more than that. Yeah, and no matter what, even things that, that are legitimate, things that we want to praise people for. You know, I was always, you know, quote-unquote, the smart kid, which, of course, felt great. But then what that meant was that other facets of my personality I sort of downplayed because that was my thing. I was the smart kid. So yeah. I didn't try to be funny. I didn't try to be creative. I was just, you know, in my books. <laughs> yeah, you were just studying. Exactly. Is, um, what do you see uh, the parallel between beauty and confidence is there is and do you see with women as they're finding their, themselves more as they have more and more options for what's acceptable to be and what how they can look? Is it impacting a, a woman's ability to feel more self confident? There is a relationship between conventional beauty and confidence in that people who are extraordinarily people who are conventionally beautiful overall tend to report being a little more confident. But what was more interesting to me is that the population at large tends to really overestimate all of the positive qualities that go along with being beautiful. We tend to think that beautiful people are way more confident than they actually are, that they make more money than they do, that they're healthier than we are. We meaning, you know, sort of the most people who are, you know, not looking but average. And when, in fact, there are benefits that go along with being beautiful besides just, you know, looking nice. But the benefits are not that great. They're not as – we tend to exaggerate them and place more importance on them than is actually there. Whew, good. 
because yeah, right? <laughs> some things are harder to get. Um, exactly. What uh, What do you see going forward? Where do you What are some of the trends you think will be hitting us in the next twenty years? You know, I from what I'm seeing among millennials and teenagers, I'm seeing a lot more outright artifice in a way that I celebrate. I don't see it as unfortunate because we're talking things that are in the realm of fantasy, you know, uh, totally unnatural colors on the face and hair, really wild, fun nail art. And it's, you know, I I just turned 40. And so for me to look at the young people and say that is one thing, um, we'll see if that is an ongoing trend or not even a trend, but a real shift. Yeah. Um, Or if it's something that's just, oh, young people being young. But I think that we might see more of that playfulness. And I, I hope that we see that among men and women. Yeah. Interesting. huh? So just, you know, kind of non natural, I guess, looking colors and and on our faces and and places that we might not normally worry about. Yeah. No, I mean I don't want I don't want it to lead to an increased scrutiny of our bodies. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah, but but rather just to revel in the sort of playful, you know, it's body paint in a way. Like why not celebrate yeah. it that way? Yeah, w- wear it out there. Man, interesting stuff. Autumn, we appreciate you. Uh, good luck on the book Face Value: The Hidden Ways Beauty Shapes Women's Lives. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You bet. Her name is Autumn Whitefield Madrano. You can go to her website, autumnwhitefieldmadrano.com, and uh, look up the book, Face Value, folks. We'll take a break, come back, continue to uh, keep looking for the things that are good in the world. And you know what? There's a lot coming up. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, a little coach's corner for you as we talk about beauty um, and we talk about self-esteem, right? So we want to we want to have this belief in ourself, but uh, we got to be really clear what self we're talking about. Because when you think of you, you are not just you. You are made up of a body, you're made up of a mind, you're made up of a spirit, you are made up of a bunch of different thoughts and paradigms and beliefs about who you are. So be really careful. Um, as you try to grow self-esteem, you, you got to focus somewhere. And my concern is that many people spend the majority of their time trying to build self-esteem, probably working on only one of the three components of self-esteem, which is the body. So your body, a great tool, right? A great source, brings you the chemistry, you know, it allows you to feel the pleasure and the pain of the world. You can rip, you can get those ripped abs like I've got, you know, buns of steel, muscles galore, rippling. Okay, don't be rude. And you, you can have all of that going for you. You can be stronger than everyone else. You can be faster. You can uh, financially go make all the money you want to take care of your body and your body's needs. You can drive the nice car, something to put your body into. You can buy the best clothes. And interestingly, it won't necessarily make you feel better. It will for a while. But eventually, if you want true self-esteem, you're going to have to go deeper than the body, right? So eventually, you're going to want to – you're going to jump into your mind, and the mind is where you you know you want to start you know having some power you want to be more popular 
Do you want some of the things that are less tangible? Not a car necessarily, but you want prestige. You want popularity. You want people to like you. And you'll realize that your car's great, but it doesn't mean people actually like you. They might just use you for your car. So as you move into your mind, you're gonna you're going to you're gonna like it. Your mind likes you know looking good. It likes being popular. It likes having you know maybe not even you're not even gonna sit there and like sit in your money and just play in all your money. That's the tangible stuff. But you just like knowing that you have more than others. So that becomes a mind game for you now. Now your mind is being satisfied because you're getting ahead supposedly in life. The problem with your mind, though, is um, you're never going to be good enough because eventually you're going to have a neighbor move in that will have more money than you. So your mind alone isn't where you're going to find self-esteem either. It's not going to be in your mind that you – because your mind's constantly going to be comparing you. And you're either going to have to be – Better or just worse than everywhere else, and your mind's going to kind of bifurcate it and make it an either or. So the true source of essence is always going to be in the spiritual side. Essence is your ability to have less and be okay with it. It's your ability to be present. Essence is that good feeling you feel when you are doing something that is noble and good that you love to be about. It's holding your grandchild. It's holding your child It's that silent night in the middle of the night when you're just rocking your baby back to sleep and you just feel peace. It's when you're serving. It's when you're out in nature. That's where your true sense of who you are comes from. It's usually in the quiet times we find ourselves. It's not in the loud, busy dance halls or bars that you're going to find your true identity. Super fun. But in the end, you got to be okay with yourself. you got to know what your purpose is. You've got to feel some connection to a higher power. Your true self, your true esteem is going to come from knowing that why you're here on this earth and what you're doing here and being connected to some bigger purpose. And I'd also say being connected to a higher power. And you can go determine what that higher power is. But if we're not connected to it, then what can you esteem? The highest power I've, or the highest esteem I have is knowing that. I'm a child of some of God, of something bigger than myself. That brings me more self-confidence than anything I could do or have or say. Anyway, just a little coach's corner. Take it or leave it. We'll take a break, friends. We'll come back, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy Paul Bunyan Day. Hey, Paul. I'm coming, boys. Paul Bunyan. I'm coming, boys. Oh. See, these were the days when all you needed was a really good folklore hero. Listen to how happy they are. Mm. Don't forget his blue ox. Yeah. Dang, that was a big babe, ox. Babe the ox. How would you like to clean up after that bad boy? Oh, well, Paul. Well, technically, according to legend, they got into a sort of pushing wrestling sort of situation. 
and created the Great Lakes. Really? That's the legend. We need to do more history and folklore history on Paul Bunyan. Do we? That's where the Great Lakes came from. A little well, wrestling. The, car- the cartoon I saw as a kid, that's what they said. Well, the cartoon. Yeah. I think that's the same cartoon I showed, yeah. showed Matt yesterday. Okay. I had never seen the cartoon. Really? No. Hmm. We didn't have television back then. Really? No. What yeah. was that like? Fantastic. Mm. We used to use our minds. No way. Yeah. We had creativity and ingenuity. That's overrated. Mm-hmm. We could take a stick and play with it for days. <laughs> you guys can't take a $800 technological device and play with it for an hour without complaining, I want to download another app. Yeah. Well, it needs Come to on. be updated. <laughs> yeah. At least. Sure it does. It's also International Caps Day. So you can cap lock it and yell at people. It's a useful thing. So I used to just think it looked good, but then people it, were like, quit yelling. It was funny. The AP has uh, said that here in the next couple of months, they will stop caps locking all of their headlines. Good. I was on their website last night. Every single story, the headline, caps yeah, locked. It's, and they're yelling. You don't need to yell. Yeah. We're, we're all here for you, AP. So they're going to use the... Just, just send it down the wire. <laughs> Quieter. Softer. So uh, happy International Caps Lock Day to you today. We've got a, an interesting show. Um, we're going to be talking about music, right? Do you remember taking those music lessons as a kid and playing uh, an instrument and, you know, maybe you hated it, but maybe mm-hmm. you loved it? Mm-hmm. Well, as times are changing, it might be time that you change how you learn to play music. So joining us in a few minutes will be uh, Clint Randalls, who's a professor that's been studying the best way to teach kids music, and you might want to listen up. If you have a child that you want to try to influence to play an instrument, mm-hmm. let's learn some of the latest and greatest technology or, or methods of teaching that uh, with uh, Dr. Randalls. We'll be with him in a minute. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nelson. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. So, legendary women's basketball coach Pat Summit died early Tuesday from complications of early-onset dementia at age of 64. It is with tremendous sadness that I announce the passing of my mother, Patricia Sue Head Summit, Tyler Summit said in a statement. She died peacefully this morning at Cheryl Hill Senior Living in Knoxville, surrounded by those she loved most. She was diagnosed with a neurological disease in August 2011. During her entire coaching career, Summit had a win-loss record of 1,161-212, to the most wins in NCAA Division I, Division I history. Also, the House Democrats released Benghazi report ahead of the Republicans. Um, on Monday, they released a 339-page report that said uh, it debunks many conspiracy theories about the 2012 Benghazi attacks. The Democrats, led by Republican or Representative Elijah Cummings of Maryland, said they had to make their own report because the Republicans on the committee refused to incorporate their opinions in a joint report. ABC News reports the Republicans are expected to release their own report as early as Tuesday. The report reveals 21 findings, including some that have been previously announced, like the Defense Department couldn't have done anything differently to save lives and the administrative administration officials did not make intentionally misleading statements about the attacks, but instead relied on information they were provided at the time under fast-moving circumstances. The committee also found no evidence Hillary Clinton denied any security requests from personnel in Benghazi, the report says. Volkswagen Wagon has agreed to pay almost $15 billion to settle lawsuits in the United States stemming from its rigging of diesel emission tests beginning in 2009, sources told Bloomberg. Under, under the settlement, which was filed Tuesday in San Francisco, the automaker, automaker will pay... 
$2.7 billion in fines to the U.S. Environmental Protecting Agency and the California Air Resources Board, and spend $2 billion on clear emissions technology and $10 billion to buy back cars from customers at pre-scandal values and to give owners as much as $10,000 per car for their trouble. Should have bought a Volkswagen. NASA engineer builds the world's largest Nerf gun. After enduring Nerf gun fights for hours at a time at his office, Mark Rober decides to supersize the invention, the NASA way. His new creation is powered by a paintball canister capable of shooting 3,000 pounds per square inch and launches homemade Nerf darts of toilet plungers and pool noodles. When he's not at the office, he also likes to launch watermelons. It would be too hazardous to actually aim at fellow employees. Although not confirmed yet, it can be assumed that Robor will win every future Nerf gun war at the office. You should look into getting one of those, Matt. Man, that thing could kill somebody. How did Jerry die? Oh, he was at the picnic and Jim shot a watermelon at him. <laughs> That's tragic. The, the gun is huge I know. that he created. It's really not feasible for uh, accuracy. Okay. But just if it's just pure you, destruction. Yeah, if you want to just make everyone duck at the same time, just launch one of these. Dad, can darts. we blow up the shed with the Nerf gun? <laughs> sure, son. He does shoot it at his kid at one point. Does he? I'm waiting for complaints, but. Yeah, well, you should know. Oh, it's fun. We have uh, four Nerf guns in our house now. So you've moved away from the Nerf Well, we have, we have, uh, the, we have the pool noodles you that are doubling noodles, as lightsabers. A.K.A. Uh, beatdown tool. And then we have the Nerf guns. And my kid has a hard time loading the gun. So he, he can shoot once and then he's like, Dad, you need to help yeah, me. As I'm just yeah, I'm unloading down. across the room. <laughs> Real quick, you have four. There are three people. So one for your son, one for your wife, and then two for you? Oh, yeah. It's so, the Wild West in my house. Well, it's, it's, one for the police a, when they show up. Well, you gotta, yeah, they have to have one, too. You, you got to make it good for everybody. Yeah, I have dual six-shooters. <laughs> Just like, go for it. It's like a, you know, it's Nerd awesome. alert! Totally. Nerd alert. Was that nerf alert or nerd alert? It, that was a nerf alert! I'm trying to master the dive across the room and shoot at the same time. In fact, while we're talking about shooting. Yes. And, um, okay, so imagine... You're in a restaurant, mm. okay? And as you're sitting in the restaurant... We have music for that, don't we? Yeah. Mm. Look at that. You're just sitting in the restaurant. Yeah. There we go. And, you know, if somebody came in and just started, you know, and they had a knife, you'd freak out, right? You'd be, you'd be panicked. And they weren't like a cook or yeah, a no, chef? Yeah, no. They're or, just okay. like, they're they're wielding a knife and they're, and they're taking people on. And okay. You'd be terrified. Mm. Oh, but yeah, yeah. So listen to what happened here. In this was right wing right wing extremists attacked a vegan cafe in um, in uh, Tbilisi, Georgia, the country of Georgia, the country of Georgia near Russia on Sunday evening. Now listen to this. The only the only weapons they weren't using knives or crowbars. All they were using were sausages in a vegan restaurant. In a vegan restaurant. Mm. Okay, so these right-wing extremists pulled out some grilled meat, sausages. So it was cooked. That's yeah, good. Yeah, uh-huh. Fish, and they started throwing them at these people in, in this restaurant. And they were trying to, you know, they were just, the people were like mad because they were like just trying to disrespect us. Yeah. Customers said that the group of rowdy Georgian men entered the cafe as the screening was as they were screening a movie, a TV show. And, the, and they were wearing sunglasses and around their necks... They had sausages, hmm. and um, they were carrying big slabs of meat on skewers. And so when I read this, I thought, oh, wow, that – I mean, I wonder, was that, like, terrifying for people? Or was it just like, get out of here, pal! 
So we went and found the video. Oh, okay. And uh, we're going to play. I'm glad it, we can have this question know, answered. As we as we are prone to do, we like to play video. We, I think we need a trigger warning first for anybody who. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. Does not like meat. Anybody that is afraid of like some guy hitting him over the head with a sausage. <laughs> uh, if you if you wake up with meat terrors or meat or, meat or nightmares, if the thought of being meat adjacent is just unsettling. Right, that's it. Yeah. So. You tell me when I when I when I saw the video, I thought, "Whoa! I mean, this is this is bigger than I thought." So, here's the video of the vegan restaurant being attacked by being really terrorized by meat wielding, sausage wielding right wing extremists. So, here they come! Oh, oh look at that! Did you see that? That was a primary. Uh-huh. Did you see that? Did you see that guy putting that roast in front of that lady's face? Oh, my word. And that one guy throwing the pork chop like a Frisbee? Did you see that? Yeah. It's just uncalled for. That was just... Mainly because it's a nice waste of a pork chop, but... Carnage. Literally. I can understand where the vegans would have a problem with this. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, some people but thought if you, that was if you, over... were a, if you were in a steakhouse and someone walked in and they were trying to hit you with some celery or something, would that... Tofu. Yeah. Would that cause no, a just, similar response? I just pick it up and eat it. No, I don't know. It seems kind of just tofu. I'm not sure. So yeah, that, that's what I'm called. Died for. from tofu, but um, so watch out. I'm just saying, you're nobody's safe anymore. In other news, yes. Back on the side of non-food on food violence. Okay, good, good. A Virginia Republican delegate uh-huh. has filed a class action lawsuit in federal court challenging a state law that requires delegates to the national convention to vote for the winner of the primary. In this case, Donald Trump. He's trying to. So a lot of many states have some sort of rule that says whatever the state votes, that's what the delegates you go with those delegates. But you he's trying. Go. He's trying to get a federal court, and his reasoning is that the Republican Party is a private organization. Right. What we decide should not be regulated by state or federal law. Which wow. there's a state law saying that he must vote for Donald Trump. So he's going to try to get this to pass, and if it passes, then it would be nationwide. Every state would be able to possibly if it goes that far. I he's trying to have to go really far and fast. And, and he's trying to sh- maybe make a blueprint for others before the convention, which is probably in like what four weeks. Yeah. So how on earth are we? I mean, <laughs> you're not going to have lawsuits that are going to make it to the Supreme Court or whatever. By no, that but time. maybe you can get states to. Change and release delegates so that they can uh, vote. But why as they want they've to. got Donald? That's kind of why the guy's not. Well, the guy's a Ted Cruz supporter, not right. really a Donald Trump but more supporter. Importantly, there's no because oh, they want eventually the, the the Congress to decide. Apparently, because that's always going to work well. Right. Yeah, because Congress couldn't even do a Benghazi report without it having to come out in two different reports. Yeah, two different reports, which are going to be completely Benghazi, anti Benghazi, completely reports. conflicting. Yeah. One of them will say that Hillary Clinton had, uh, you know, she, she's not solely at fault she here. She lied, yeah. And on the other one, they'll say it's all her fault. Yeah. Those are the two reports. If you want to read later, you can. I just told you what's in the reports, <laughs> but go ahead. No problem. Um, and also, Politico contacted more than 50 prominent governors, senators, and House members to gauge their interest in speaking at the Republican convention. Oh, yeah. I, I bet that's a big list. Only a few said they were open to it, and everyone <laughs> else said they are either planning on it or they weren't planning on it, or didn't want to, or weren't even going to Cleveland. Uh, I'm washing my hair that night. Really? 
And that's that's a prominent place. That's a that's a. a I heard someone res, uh, say that's kind of a king making position. Oh yeah, that's what made uh, Barack Obama. You go in, you speak, right. you you give a motivating speech. People remember you, uh-huh. and then the next cycle around, you can run for something because you're you can now be president. Notable. Do you remember? He was a you're a rising star. state legislator or something. Or, yeah. yeah, and and then he boom, bada boom, bada bing. He's the president. Yeah. Because of one speech. But you're saying that nobody wants to speak. So this says everyone has to make their own choice. But at this point, 70 percent of the American public doesn't like Donald Trump. That's as toxic as we have seen in American politics, said Stuart Stevens, a longtime Republican strategist who helped craft the party's 2012 convention. Normally, people want to speak at a national convention. It, as you said, it launched Barack Obama's career. You know, what's interesting is um, I wonder if this is true on the Democratic side. I don't know. I mean, I bet the Democrats are lining up. We'll see. Because mm. if it doesn't, if we don't have people that want to speak, then you know Donald is just going to bring in all his Hollywood friends. Dennis Rodman. Oh, you're right. Geraldo will come Geraldo. in. <laughs> all the people that have been on The Apprentice. Can you imagine that convention? I'd Our watch. first speaker, Mr. Dennis Rodman. Oh, my heavens. I remember when I kicked a... Yeah. Photographer in the NBA Finals. Wow, that's a sad day. You can't even you can't even fill up your own convention your agenda. Own convention. Oh well. But that's it. I, I back to our story about the vegans. Yeah. In Georgia, being abused by right wing right yeah. wing sausage, extremists, sausage yielding. Allegedly, we wielding. don't really know what their political affiliation is, other than they're wielding various cooked meats. Dude, it's not. <laughs> Is that a bra? Someone had some li- some linked sausages using them like nunchucks. <laughs> you just hit me with that nunchuck. It's not a nunchuck. It's a rump roast. Um, interesting. And again, violent. Uh, it was to me. It just seemed like a very violent moment. Mm. People screaming. <laughs> uh, some nuclear radiation alarm going off. I mean, it was like here's that video again. What's going on? This is crazy. This is vegan. This is like Armageddon for vegans. Wow. I can't even watch it. I think they were force feeding that guy. Did you hear that? Uh, some deli meats. Yeah, I, th- I think it was shredded beef. Shredded beef? <laughs> Sad. Like, I'm, I'm a large proponent of, of meat. But that's sick. Oh, yeah. Nobody likes meat more than you do. You're like, let's have some meat ice cream. Uh, again, folks. Wow. Video. The power of video on the radio. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about music lessons. Are they keeping up with the times? You know, doing your scales on the piano the way we did them 200 years ago. Is it keeping our kids, you know, into it? Are there better ways? Are there better methods? Cliff Randalls, uh, he's an associate professor of music education at the University of South Florida. He's going to walk us through uh, some of the latest and greatest on what we can do to keep our kids involved and wanting to learn music. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
Doesn't that sound like your child playing? Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. How many times have you sat at your house and, and heard the, those scales being played? And, uh, you know, you'd love them to be played as cleanly as that, right? And how many times does it just not work out like that? So music lessons and uh, teaching your children to play, it's uh, it seems like a really... It seems like just, you know, something we do and we've always done it and we just it's it's a it's a piano for heaven's sakes. How much has a piano changed? Well, a lot. And uh, one of the things I'm finding even in my own life, um, I have a daughter who graduated who's been uh, from uh, the University BYU here, in fact. But she she has been teaching piano for years for since she was about 15, 14, I believe, and has actually engineered a pretty interesting little method of teaching kids music. She opened her own studio. She has a bunch of other teachers that follow her philosophy. And part of her philosophy is using these lessons to create more than musicians, um, really to help them create healthy, you know, strong, confident children. But she also is very quick to let these kids play a lot of the music that they like to play. Because she found it keeps them interested. It keeps them engaged. They can still learn the basics and they can still go in-depth with classical music. But also she can keep a bunch in the game that wouldn't normally stay. So when I saw this next uh, – the article by our next guest, Dr. Clint Randalls, I thought, OK, we got to get this guy on the show. He wrote an article entitled, Why Music Lessons Need to Keep Up with the Times. When you think about it, technology has changed, right? Um, Now our students can actually, with their computers and their keyboards, their keyboards can plug into their computers. They have drum sets that are all just touch pads. You don't even need a full drum set anymore. You can now actually copy some of the best uh, sound from the most incredible pianos on earth and connect them into your uh, electronic keyboards and all of a sudden you're playing an incredible, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollar piano power of technology. So if technology is changing and music has changed a bit, uh, don't don't you think it's time that we get our music lessons up to speed? Clint Randalls joins us. He is an associate professor of music education at the University of South Florida. And we welcome him to the show. Clint, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. What uh, what an interesting article. I'm a total believer in in what you're teaching us. But but teach us, talk to us. What what is happening to music lessons? Are the kids as involved in music as they used to be? Is it trending up? Is it trending down? Is it the same? Well, I have to say this is the most exciting time in the history of music to be a music teacher because we have so many things at our disposal. We have traditions thousands of years old uh, to draw upon, um, knowing that uh, humans have been musical since there have been humans. Uh, Music has always existed, and probably the first music that we ever hear is the sound of our mother's heartbeat. Hmm. So we've had it for our entire lives, and for the history of humankind, we've always had music. Um, Just recently, though, um, we've developed the, the ability to record audio um, in very sophisticated ways using multi-track recording technology that's available on our telephones, um, available on our I, um, iPads and our, our computers. Mm. And I, I was a teacher in Michigan in 2004, and GarageBand came out, and it blew my mind um, because something that would have cost thousands of dollars to 
um, to purchase and develop now can be under my arm, <laughs> and I can I can take it from building to building. In fact, then I, t- I, I went from building to building on a skateboard I, <laughs> to get there a little quicker. That's the kind of teacher I was. Um, and so um, you, you have the ability to record sound, um, which is the primary way that people experience music. If you... Um, you know, we, we like to get out to concerts, all of us like to hear live music, and it's, it's incredible when we have the chance to do that. But typically, we're searching YouTube. You know, we're Googling um, artists, and we're looking at music videos, and we're streaming things on our phone. All of that music was recorded by someone, and so um, it brings to the table uh, the, the necessity to teach teachers and to teach students how to record their own sounds. Oh, man. Honestly, I've seen this firsthand change the lives of some of my kids where they were able to take music exactly like you said they were able to then edit it produce it add their own vocals to it and get it up on youtube and make money on it i mean i have a child that's making 500 to a thousand dollars a month with music and and he was doing that sitting in our basement and doing it all by himself and it turned him it turned a passion into something, um, into a job, an occupation. Yeah, the, I, it, part of the job that I do here at USF, I work with students with special needs, and um, some of them have very big disabilities that um, they they uh, present obstacles to doing everything in their life, and a lot of the a lot of the difficulties are social. But you you give them the ability to manipulate sound as you've just described at a computer when they, where they can do it by themselves. They can do they can isolate all of the sounds and they're not, you know, the the cacophony that um, in our large rehearsal space with large ensembles, um, in, uh, there's a lot of sound and and, yeah. and it's hard to control all that sound. And, and some of them have very specific needs where they have an aversion to that. So you put them in the driver's seat. Um, in one one of these mediums where they can manipulate, they can add, they can record and 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 produce things, we find that they, like you said, they can be they can have a job and something that can sustain their livelihood. More than that, they can. I mean, it, it's the root of why music is so essential to all of us. It, it moves us. It's beautiful. It enriches our lives. Have the uh, as these technologies have been changing? I mean, really, I guess they've been changing for centuries, right? With with Thomas Edison's phonograph in 1877, we could now record music. Um, what's powerful about these new teaching approaches, though, is m- my daughter's organ- company can actually, all of all of her pianos are, um, are, are uh, their keyboards, but they're, they're nice keyboards, but you can record every lesson, you can record every recital, they can... Um, they can record a, a healthy version of the song that the child can listen to over and over and over as they're as they're you know practicing. So, are we are we advancing our our methods of teaching along with the technology, or, or are we still behind, way behind? Well, we. I mean, I first have to say that um, I'm among a pool of people around the country and around the world who are grappling with this right now. We, we just had a summit, the College Music Society had a summit in South Carolina where we talked about 21st century musicianship and how we educate all musicians. You know, I'm in the music teacher realm, and so I, I deal with K-12 students and uh, music in the schools, and I prepare teachers to go out in, into that environment. Um, but it, uh, it, we, we, the system is structured to keep everything the same. Mm. And we've... 
um, you know, Clifford Geert said that humans are suspended in webs of significance that we have self, we ourselves have spun. And we've developed this culture where it's classical music, primarily Western, um, Western classical music from certain composers. And um, there's a linear way to learn music that starts with notation and not sound. And how unnatural is that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about how you learned language, you didn't write first. Right, you right. And you made sounds and you played around with sounds. And that's the opposite of what we do when we teach students how to, how to uh, play an instrument. We start with notation. So it's, it's backwards. Yeah. And um, so there, there are a lot of things that, um, that, that are fixations that we have about what music education can be that we have to look beyond, we have to get past. And there are places around the country that are sort of leading the charge, places like Miami uh, Frost School of Music, places like uh, the USC Thornton School of Music in L.A., uh, places that are bringing in contemporary music alongside classical, um, you know, knowing that music is this great, big, beautiful world. And if we would only let all of the light in, we, we'd be able to work with all that we have at our disposal. Yeah. So we're... We're essentially we're limiting ourselves to a narrow genre and a narrow way of being musical, and 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 then um, and I guess forcing that as kind of the only way, the only method, that's, because like I, ha- I have a da- I had a daughter that could do it right. She could do the notation first. She that just worked for her brain perfectly. But I had a son. It didn't work. It didn't work. And the more we would drill him on the notation, the more frustrated he would become until he eventually. We, we didn't want to pay for the lessons anymore. And so what he just did by himself is he went in and sat down at the piano and just started making the notes, playing the sounds, until he learned by ear. And then mm-hmm. has kind of circled back and then learned the notation. And so we, we, it's almost like we, we have never allowed it to be – but by the way, so many people still come up to him from the other school of thought and, and kind of critique him for not having done it the other way. Yeah, that's that's the the really the sad part. I mean, the saddest part. It, it's really a diversity thing. It's really a social justice thing, because we've looked at all the ways that people can be musical, and we and we've said we've sort of decided as a profession or a, or a society that this this way of performance from notation under the direction of a person that's more worthy and that's more worthwhile. I mean, we're, we've elevated that to the point where it, it, it um, there should be a music teacher um, in your son's class that, that says that that way that you just made music, the way that you picked it up by your ear and you, you can now play it, that's valuable and that's as good as this. Mm-hmm. It's like, what would what would we do with Louis Armstrong? You know, <laughs> we would kick him out of our music. Right. What's he doing here? Right. Jimi Hendrix, get out. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul, Paul McCartney and George Harrison's teacher in Liverpool didn't find any potential. In them, they were in the same music class. They had the same music teacher, and the way the way that they shine as musicians wasn't it fell beneath the radar of the music teacher because they weren't keen to all of the ways that people can be musical. So hmm. it, that's just sad. I mean, it, they made it. Yeah, you know, we know we know of them, but how many how many people's lives could be enriched by music teachers that simply said that that thing that you do is is great and valuable and it has a place here. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so true. And because these kids are listening to the music anyway. They love the music anyway. They're attracted to the music anyway. 
but they don't feel like it's accessible in certain ways. We're going to come back. More uh, great information from Dr. Clint Randalls, and he's an associate professor of music education at the University of South Florida, and we'll continue this discussion of why music lessons need to uh, keep up with the times. When we come back, we'll be talking some solutions about how we can keep, uh, you know, still keep the classics alive in our lives, but also introduce other methods of, of getting these children into the music. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you hear the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking about why music lessons need to keep up with the times. You know, it's hard. You got you've got a different philosophy. Everyone has a different approach and different needs, but uh, there is still seemingly a common love of music among our children. But uh, a lot of times, the songs that they're asked to play while while preparing and practicing have have no direct correlation to the music they listen to. Um, joining us on the phone is Dr. Clint Randalls. He is an associate professor of music education at the University of South Florida and has over two or over 20 peer-reviewed articles published um, uh, in, in, uh, in different magazines and, and in different peer-related um, um, uh, notebooks and workbooks. But one of the things that he's also uh, a big a big, I think, um, proponent of is at least being able to look at how we teach music differently and, and learn and, and study. Um, Clint, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for your insight on this. Well, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Talk to us about what are some of the, the, the things you've been learning as you have studied, uh, you know, pedagogy and how to teach um, some of these classes, these music classes, what are some of the advancements and what are some of the new and innovative ways that we could be teaching our kids music? Well, like I said before, this is the most exciting time, I think, in the history of music to be a music teacher because of all of the things that we have to work with. And um, actually, right now, I'm um, in the middle of teaching a master's course on learner-centered pedagogies where we're we're working with practicing teachers on how to implement some of these methods. Um, so there are, there are a number of big ideas. Actually, my students right now are listening to this. If you want to, oh great, they're, they're, good. They're within earshot. <laughs> good. So they're they're from from five states, eight teachers from five states around the country, and they they've come to USF specifically um, because of this um, unique program that we developed. And so if you, anytime that you look at change, you look at the things that we do really well and sort of flip over the coin and look at what would the opposite of that be. And so you can look at, we do ritualized performance really well. So what would improvisatory performance look like? Huh. And how could we incorporate that? How could we bring that in? Well, if you look at cultures around the world, um, their, their systems of music are based on that. If you go into a community in, say, South Africa, um, you see people old and young making music, and it's a natural part of what they do. And they're, um, you know, there's a play with sound. They welcome in the old ones and the young ones, and um, it's a communal thing. So um, if we do ritualize very well, if we flip it over and we say to ourselves, what would improvisatory look like? What would, what would participatory music making uh, look like where there's very little distinction between audience um, and the listener? Huh. What would that look like? 
Um, and of course, uh, just knowing about how to record sound. And so I, I spent the last day and a half um, with our students here um, jamming and um, recording some things that they jam to. And uh, we'll spend the afternoon um, doing more improvisation, um, bringing in songwriting. I have an iPad band that I'm a part of here at USF. Wow. Um, which was, <clears throat> at first it was laughed at. We, we were we were the, the uh, laughing stock of the School of Music, um, but we, we, we saw the value in what it could do for music teachers in the hands of creative music teachers, what it could mean for students, and so we continued. Uh, we've been on ESPN. <laughs> we've, wow. We've played all over the country. We played at the, the National Opryland Hotel. Um, we've been paid, uh, my highest paid gigs as a musician has been um, as an iPadist. Really? Um, and, and, and an iPadist, explain it. So this is you uh, using your iPad to then capture sound and music and then replaying it? Yeah, we, we perform in a band um, with iPads using apps as instruments. So there are, there are five of us and a vocalist. Hmm. And um, we can. I can be the bass player, I can be the keyboard player, I can be the drummer depending on what song that we're working on. And um, we jam just like just like an acoustic instrument. It, it, it is an instrument. It's, yeah. it's a highly versatile instrument that I can check my email and the scores of the baseball game on. <laughs> right. And watch some Netflix while you're practicing. Exactly. And we do that sometimes. <laughs> it's, what's so amazing about it is this, this advancement in technology um, – uh, what's it called? My, so my son downloaded uh, the sounds from some of the most incredible pianos that cost so much money, and he can just embed them into his computer program, and they will play on his keyboard. And it literally sounds exactly like he's in a studio with this piano. I think your son and I would get along. Really oh, well, I think you I think would maybe too. Maybe he should come to the University of South Florida. No, do you know what? I just thought. I just thought he's going to Florida. We got to send the boy to Florida. You know, yeah. Clint, talk about um, because even the idea of making a, a song up that could then be, you know, more fully produced. It's something you know. It seems like in traditional music worlds, we don't let them do that yet till they've learned the theory, the all these other things first. Um, is there something missed if we go the other way, if we go to getting them practicing, getting them more in, in an improvisational approach? Um, c- can they still then go back and, and finish the loop, and do they need to? Well, those of us, many of us across the country um, espouse in, in part to a, a learning theory that that involves constructivism, and so people learn things when they really want it, when they really need it. Right. And um, we go about learning things all the time, um, guiding our own learning. We're, we're self-guided learners, um, everyone, especially now that we have the Internet. I mean, we, we can know everything instantaneously. And so many of us believe that more and more we should be putting students in the driver's seat of their education where they, um, they, they have an idea of what they want to play and they choose it. They choose their groups, and they go about figuring out how they can bring it bring it into being. And what we do as music teachers, and I've seen this over the last six years that I've been at USF, and, and the nine years that I was in K twelve schools, I should say that I, I have some credibility here. Yeah, those those they're they're probably people listening from from where I taught, and they they know this to be true. That um, when you 
when you open that door for students and you and you allow them to be in the driver's seat, there's a passion for learning that um, is unique. And it's different than even the best teacher, um, you know, bringing about an inspiring performance by bringing things out of students. When they're bringing it out of themselves, um, it, it, it's a whole different level of meaning. Essentially what we're doing is we're putting them each on the podium. Hmm. You know, we're, we're letting them be the... the the guiders and the directors of their own music. We're we're allowing them to play loud when they want to and to be soft when they want to and to be creative and to come up with their own ideas, which, you know, if I'm the third clarinetist in a band, um, how many of my original ideas does the band director really want to hear? <laughs> right, exactly. We don't need originality here. Because, <laughs> right? Yeah. A lot, but what's interesting about this, too, is you're simultaneously um, creating... Um, community. So you're not only teaching the children, for example, how to be creative and how to 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 uh, find a way to to um, to integrate in and hear what's going on, but it's about socializing. It's about it's about being able to feel what others are doing and anticipating what others will do as you're as you're playing. It's the flow Absolutely. idea, right? It's I mean, it's yeah. it's jazz. It's it's the improvisational too. Mm-hmm. It, and it's an imprint of our identity. I mean, um, how how crazy are we about social media now? How crazy are we about um, putting ourselves out there that way? Um, when we're talking about making music that way, where you develop your own band and you name your band and you put your band's music online and you promote it, um, that that's a part of your identity. Hmm. I mean, it's like your profile picture. It's like your um, it's it's you. Yeah. It it. it it carries a different meaning than if I said, play your B-flat scale for octaves. <laughs> and, you know, if you mess up on that, eh, it's just a scale. Yeah. You know? But if you, if, you, if you tell me, I wrote this song, and you're singing it, and, um, you know, you mess that up, that, that's, or, or, or I say, I hate your song. You know, I hate that. That's, it, that cuts deeper. You know, it's more of, it's more of us. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're hurt. Yeah, you're cutting me. But see, to me, that this idea that our kids would own own this, um, it, it's it seems more healthy than a lot of the students that might be graduating that don't have a sense of ownership of what they've learned because they weren't allowed to deviate. Yeah, you could be a graduate student in music education. You could get a PhD in music education because we have these same discussions, and it and um, to hear it from you. Um, you know, you're not in the eye of retirement. You're not mm-hmm. having these, dis- these discussions, but you're right at the heart of what we're thinking about right now. The profession is grappling with. We're, we w- we want people to be musical their whole lives, and we want to do everything that we can to give them the, the power and the and the uh, to feel to have the agency to to, um, to to believe that they can be musical for their whole life. Uh, have you seen? There's a there's a documentary of Glenn Campbell. Uh-uh. Um, right now, he, he has he has Alzheimer's, uh, and he's his mind is almost gone. His memory is almost completely gone. You can't remember things that were just said. Um, but when you, you give him a guitar and you have him play guitar solo, he can play note by note perfect things that he that he learned in the '60s and the '50s. Oh wow, it's in there. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's in uh, there. It's wrapped up. It's wrapped up in our minds and our being um, more than we can possibly know. I mean, we're we can do research and we can look at the brain images, but 
can we really know, can we measure joy? Can we really validly uh, measure joy and yeah. quality of life? Yeah. Powerful. It, it's difficult. It is. Thank you. Well, Dr. Clint Randalls, we appreciate you, and uh, keep up your great work there at uh, at your University of uh, South Florida. Uh, and everybody, go check out his website, clintrandalls.com. It's the cutting edge, folks, and there's a point and a time where um, things are going to have to change. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that you have to let the classics die, um, but you also have to let those that are alive live, right? Let let people live and and let them experience the joy of of creation of their own of their own content. Stick with us, folks. We will take a break. We'll come back and uh, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, it's really hard, isn't it, when you've trained people, teachers, educators, we've trained them a certain way, they've researched a certain way, they've learned a certain way, and then these these tiny, these know-it-all young kids come in and want to change it all up. But uh, I'm telling you, as a father who um, have, I have six kids and every one of them are different, and every one of them approach music um, in such a different way, except we still end up teaching them a very similar way. But this one, I had one kid that uh, music has become his saving grace, and yet it was the thing that was driving him berserk because we kept forcing him to learn it one way. And if he can't learn it, you know, What's your problem? Learn it this one way. Learn it this one way. And it wouldn't work. All my other kids are learning it that one way. Learn the notes, you know, learn notation, learn to read the notes, then you can make the sound, which, as Clint was telling us, is so backwards to how we really live in life. Babies are always making sounds before they've ever learned a note or learned to read a note. They're making the sounds first. It's the natural way we learn. And then we take music and we force this unnatural way um, to learn, which is no, 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 no. We don't, we don't make music. Music without notes is just noise. It's not even music. You're just making noise. So if you don't want to crush the heart and the spirit of somebody, then you're going to have to figure out how they want to learn it. In order to influence someone positively, you must first be influenced by them. You've got to let them lead their own learning. Now, I can't just let my kids just play willy-nilly, whatever they want. The biggest moment, I think, in our history as a family of um, learning music is when we finally just – we went and bought a Disney music book for piano that – our kids, once they got to a certain point, they could play these Disney songs. And it changed my daughter because she had been playing the classical songs, everything you learn, just followed the routine. It was, she was doing great, but she was bored and was ready to give up because none of this sounds like what she hears. 
So we bought her a silly little Disney book, and holy cow, she took off. We also learned a way to get our kids involved in music was just simply by playing it a lot. I play music all of the time, and um, we would gather around and let uh, our people listen to some great music. One of our favorite groups to listen to are called the Piano Guys, and um, just they're just incredible musicians, a cellist and a piano player, and they make great music, but they also make songs my kids have heard. And because they're they're using these classical instruments, playing songs that my children love and have heard, it doesn't – now, well, Matt, you could get them to love classical music. Sure, you could. You could. And then when they go to a party that night, no one's going to put on Bach. They're not going to go to a dance contest and play Bach. They, But my daughter could sit down and play piano, the piano um, guy's – and all of a sudden could start getting her own sense of self and identity by being able to do something like that. Anyway, it is a powerful method to get um, people to grow, self-esteem, self-worth. It's a great way to get people to um, get out of their shell and to gain confidence. It's a powerful way to just live and magnify your talents. So be careful that you're not crushing somebody's dream because they're not learning it the way you think they need to learn it. Not everyone's brain is like yours. Not everyone has to suffer the way you did to learn music, right? Let your children influence you, and when you do, they'll come up with their own answers. They'll also stick with the game. They'll stick with the plan. If you have your children quitting a lot of stuff – It might be because they don't feel like they're a part of their own creation. Make sense? I don't know. Call me crazy, but it's working for my kids. I think it could work for yours. Just give them some space. And then once you see the way they want to go, lift it up, help it, enable it, give them the tools they need to make it happen their way. We'll take a break, folks. Come back a whole new hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, helping you through life every day. When you're down and you need a little help, you come to the radio show and we just listen and we talk and we teach you the latest and the greatest skills of life. In fact, we've got a great hour for you. Uh, we will, we've got lessons in snobbery. We will um, be taking a page out of Ben's book. Really? Lessons in snobbery. I meant that in the best way possible. We're going to learn terms that make you sound like a snob. Am I a snob? No. No. We're just taking this out of your book. But you do have some tendencies that could lead to future snobbishness. Like you think everything's about ice cream. It's not. Okay? You think, you know... Matt, that's... that's... Stuff like that. So we'll get to that. Lessons in snobbery coming up. Um, Just a fun little thing. So you don't sound like a snob. Ten words that... 
are more likely to drive you into the category of being a, a you know an elitist kind of snob. It's a public service that we we're bring here to help, to the lending show. a hand. We also are going to teach you the power of the Bible, and uh, apparently there's a big movement to use more emojis in the Bible. And we're going to be doing a little radio emoji Bible reading session. More and more young people moving away from religion. This is mm-hmm. an attempt to bring them back. Yeah. And Speak again, their language. Making something that's usually more visual into an audio. Right. Um, I mean, a lot. again, we can't show you an emoji on the radio, but we can play one. Yeah. We are going to play you radio emojis. It's a wonderful game. The Bible, the readings of the Bible right. done through emojis. That's right. And you'll see. You'll get it. You will. You'll get it. I'm telling you. It's intuitive. Um, okay. I got to tell you. Oh, oh, by the way, we also have um, coming up BYU Sports Nation. Our, our good brother in at BYU Sports Nation will be joining us, finding out. We're going to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. You're not going to want to miss it because, I mean, they're they're the real deal. Also, uh, we got to get to headlines, okay? Because, you know, as if life isn't crazy enough, we got headlines from the United States uh, that we wanted to bring with you. Sadie Nielsen joins us. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country that we need to be paying attention to? Thank you, Matt. So the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday expanded the types of domestic violent convictions that can trigger the loss of gun ownership rights in a ruling issued amid fierce debate about reducing firearm violence in America. Several online travel sites have seen a jump in queries about Americans from Americans about travel to the United Kingdom since it voted to leave the European Union, a sign so-called Brexit, and the resulting drop in the value of the pound currency may spur U.S. visits to Britain. A missing woman has been found alive after falling off a boat into the water along Maryland's eastern shore. 32-year-old Lauren Connor was found Monday morning, about 11 hours after she fell overboard at the mouth of Sassafras River on Sunday night. Officials say Connor was being medically evaluated before being released to her family. The American Red Cross is apologizing for a pool safety poster it produced that was widely criticized as racist. The Red Cross has said it would no longer make or distribute the poster, which shows children of color committing rule violations, while the white kids are commended for following the rules. And last but not least, uh, former... Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee may have ended his presidential run months ago, but he's still paying off the cost of the campaign, thanks in part to his music choice for one of his rallies. CNN reported Monday that the failed presidential candidate was slapped with a $25,000 payment by the band Survivor for playing its Eye of the Tiger without permission (laughs) at a rally Huckabee held last year for Kim Davis, the Kentucky county clerk who refused to issue same-sex marriage licenses. Wow. Mm -hmm. Poor guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Holy cow, Sadie, thanks. No problem. Unbelievable. The bad part about the whole thing is he came out in his boxing trunks without a shirt on. Well, if, and, you, if, you, if you remember that rally, yeah, Huckabee staged the rally. Yeah. And then Ted Cruz flew into town. Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz was in trying to shake her hand Drifter. and talk to her. And then, and then you'd have Huckabee like sliding in between her and Cruz, yeah. helping her out the door, basically trying to box Cruz out at every moment. <laughs> and, and as they walk up on the she's stage. She's mine. No, she's mine. This group of people closed behind Huckabee and blocked Ted Cruz from getting up on stage because Huckabee's like, this is mine. Not, this is my event, not yours. <laughs> And then in this whole situation with the song "Eye of the Tiger," uh, Huckabee claimed it was a re- uh, used in it for a religious gathering, right? 
because it was expressing hope and joy that she was released from jail after using her religion to protest this law. (laughs) And they said, no, this was politics. You owe us money. (laughs) Sorry about that. You owe us money. He tried. It was a good argument. Well, and what's so sad is it's kind of like when you invite your friends out to dinner and then you end up picking up the check. Mm. And you're like, come on, Ted. You got more money than I do, Ted. And Ted's like, (laughs) eye of the tiger. I didn't know it would cost that much. That's why I quit playing it. Um, (sighs) We've got so much to talk about. Here's one. Here's one for you. Let's say you're a pizza maker. Yeah. And uh, you work at a pizzeria. A 50-year-old pizza baker from a small village in Italy has been charged with failing to pay child support after a judge ruled that he had uh, done his best. He, he, he was supposed to pay 400 euros, right? But he didn't have the money. And when you don't have the money, then you got to use the dough. You got <laughs> you to make the pizza pie for the dough. And you ended up trying to pay off his debt with 400 euros worth of pizza, calzone, and other goods from the store he managed. So is this every month that he has to pay 400 euros? Oh, Euro? yeah. This is why, Ben, you got to choose the right spouse. I can't afford to pay $400 of ice cream every month. So I know, and I'm pretty sure she wouldn't take it. I mean, you can you can live on calzone and pizza. You, man uh, does uh, not. That's a scripture we'll be quoting. Man does not live by calzone by alone? ice cream alone. Huh. You could live on calzones. You could totally live on calzones because that's a little bit of everything. Mm. It's all it's all of the it's the food pyramid. But if if you have like a cookie dough ice cream, you got the protein, you got some carbs in there with the flour, you got mm. some sugars in there. Mostly yeah. sugar, though. See, then the wife eventually got she got ticked off because they they were malnourished. You need more than pizza, man. Bring me. Do you though? Bring me your money. I don't want. I. She just started getting all mad. I want your money. No more calzone. Could she get different kinds of pizza, or just one no, kind? She Was got it just pepperoni. Kind. I'm sure he gave her everything. I mean, you could get a, like a veggie pizza. Well, there's a point. Just bring me some grated cheese. Bring me some mozzarella. Whatever. But. Eventually, she needed something else. I don't know, like a steak. They make steak lovers, meat lovers pizzas. They, you know, these are all options. Yeah. Apparently, she also wanted, I don't know, clothes. The dough is just the foundationary <laughs> element of the food. Sometimes you can put whatever she needed, you want. I don't know. She had to pay for heating. Ah, I think she's trying to get more out of life than pizza. Well, yeah. Throw right. the calzone food, in the fire. Shelter and heat. clothing. That's she what needs, you're paying she for. She needs to embrace the pizza lifestyle. Wow. <laughs> a fresh baked pizza wow. is really warm. And it's like Italian pizza. It's not fast food pizza. It's not the stuff we have here. That's a great point. It's real pizza. It's real pizza. They call them pies. <sighs> she needs clothes. Her boy needs books. He's not going to be a pizza maker like his father. Well, couldn't they use pizza as currency with other people? No. They don't live. They... They live in a, in a society that uses mm-hmm. money. Goodness. But you could trade pizza for goods. Yeah, sure. About 100 years ago. 
You could probably still do it if it's good enough pizza. You try running a piece of pizza through a credit card machine. <laughs> well, it's not going to be good. There's some logistical issues. I won't deny you that, but yeah. it's. I mean, trade, I guess. But there comes a point that, buddy, just make some money. Make some money. <laughs> I don't know why I say it like that. Uh, we oh, got to get to this story. Um, this is an important story about Christians. Uh, everybody wants to draw more and more people to their to church, right? To to so that everybody can enjoy the message of God, right? So the Christians uh, are desperate um, to some, get some, some are to get yeah. more people reading the holy book. And uh, there's this there's there's this emoji Bible. And especially they're trying to target the millennials, these young mm. 18 to 30-plus-year-olds that are maybe falling away from the church a bit. But they know if we could just get them to read the Bible, then they'll be more interested. And if the Bible just included some more emojis, uh, life would be better. So for two ninety nine, they have this Bible app. It's called Bible Emoji Scripture for Millennials. And it was released Sunday – in the iBooks store. It's exactly what it sounds like. Oh, it's not an app. It's a book that has emojis. It's the Bible. And uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an adaptation of the King James Version, because I'm pretty sure in the King James Version, not a, not a lot of emojis. A few. Well, yeah. depends on how you uh, mark your scriptures. But when I mark my scriptures, I do use emojis. A little smiley face yeah. here and there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and so remember, those emojis are those adorable little, you know, Pictures that Pictures. you can use with texting and yeah. other. So what we wanted writing. to do is we got the book and we we wanted to translate um, using technology. Hmm. And so because people this is radio they can't see the emoji and it's too hard to explain the emoji. We're just going to um, play the emoji version of the Bible scripture. So I will read the scripture and then Ben will play the emoji version. Hmm. I brushed up on my emoji yesterday, so I think I'll be able to provide a. No, this is going to be fantastic. A valid translation. I don't see any issues with this whole. No, bit gonna be, here no, at we, all. no, it's seriously good. Um, let me give you. <laughs> let me let me just get you a couple of them that um, I want to find the right ones because you don't want to. You know. Yeah. Uh, here's one. Philippians four thirteen. Okay. Um, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Hmm. Here, here's the emoji translation. Yeah. Okay, I, I had a little trouble finding an emoji for strength, but I think that should be pretty accurate. Which which one exactly was that one? Strength. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like weakness to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, no. So we're just getting started. So, um, but I could feel it. I okay. Could, I mean, I could feel it. Um, let me see. Um, let me find another one here. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> it's got to be just the right one. Oh, here's one. Oh. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. This is, by the way, Hebrews 11.1, All right. if you're following along with mm. us. Hebrews 11.1 1 in the Emoji Bible. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we, what we do not see. <sighs> Hmm. Yeah, that was good. Do you know, so faith—that's—is what we 
it, so that's what faith is. Faith is the hope, what we hope for, but the assurance you, of what we do not do see. Do you think this will catch on? Do you think this will work, translating well, the Bible into emojis? I think it already is. Hmm. I mean, Sadie's in there like she can't stop listening. Right. And Sadie never reads the Bible. But – do you know, know what my favorite verse is? What's your favorite verse? <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Oh, so Proverbs 22, 6? Yeah. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it really speaks to me. <laughs> do, you, do, do you feel it? Yeah, it, it really – the emojis, they, they provide a different angle, a different perception perception of what the bible means to me right i sometimes feel like you might lose the spirit of the message in the emoji there's a concept of lost in translation Mm -hmm. yeah i think you might not grasp the full measure of what the message is trying to convey Mm -hmm. with the smiley face ambulance or you know whatever emoji what have you yeah yeah. Well, I, I have to disagree because, like, I was reading the the chapters about the Israelites fighting the Babylonians oh, okay. yesterday, yeah. and, um, and it was it was just like I was reading it in the King James Bible. Well, what does right. what what like just give us a just read kind of the headline of that section, and just do it in emojis. Huh? Yeah. I, you know what? My favorite sound, <sighs> it's like relief. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's that. like, like the Israelites <sighs> have defeated the Babylonians. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Wow. So, you know, what's one way to get people back in the Bible? Emojis. Now, I saw several modern translated slang mm-hmm. versions of the Bible. Yeah, no. Those were kind of interesting. <laughs> they do have Hawaiian pigeon uh, versions of the Bible. Yeah, I've... Hawaiian pigeon is that like pig Latin? No, it, it's like a it's like a dialect in Hawaii. Really? Mm-hmm. It's it's called pigeon. Yeah, like there's an African pigeon and there's a Hawaiian pigeon. Huh? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What does it sound like? I've never heard of this ever. Really? I'll I'll show you. In my 47 years, I've never heard of Hawaiian pigeon. Really? Mm. I'll show you some verses after the show. I'm not sure. Pro <laughs> doesn't work well for what we're trying to accomplish. Here. Okay. So, okay. Good. But yeah. There's a, there's a, we're trying to keep it clean. Right? Islander sort of language that has developed and okay. they call it kind of okay. a pigeon English, but Hawaiian. Yeah. I get it. There you go. I told, it's like pig Latin. And then they're translating that probably into emojis too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, just know it's out there. If you want the Bible and you want it in emoji form. No, they don't have it in a digital format. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like it. But for two ninety nine, I think, no, you do download it, but I think it's more like an ebook. Okay. Well, it's I, on iBooks. Yeah, so, okay, it's an ebook. That makes sense. I think we should start translating some of our content into emojis for our younger listeners. Okay, for example, I wrote you a letter this morning about, you know, just some things I wanted you to fix. And, um, Personality, personality, issues. you just you yeah. know, you know, don't chew with your mouth closed, stuff like that. Uh, what did that sound like? <laughs> yeah, like the Three Stooges. Yeah, that summed it up. Yeah, I like that with the eye poke. <laughs> okay, now see so it works. Succinct to it, the point. Totally, it totally works. <laughs> and and you need less like 
you need less space to get your message across. Oh, totally. Mm. See, this is maybe not a bad idea. Maybe we're going to have to do more emoji translation for people because that's apparently what people how people talk today. It seems to be catching on. I, in fact, we probably need to really go through all of the emojis now. Mm. Because there's new ones. Some of those emojis, I'm like, what is that? Yeah. And then it's like it's like a leg of it's a ham hawk or whatever. Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, but we got to take a break. Holy cow, we got to go. We're going to come back. When we come back, we will also be playing a game, and the game is about we want to help you not be a snob, right? And there's certain words we use that make you sound more like a snob than other words. And we'll get to that. We're gonna we're here to help. And then we'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, we've got some more news headlines to cover real fast, and then uh, we've, we've got to get to teaching how not to be a snob. And uh, as a professional, as a doctor myself, uh, I have studied deeply the art of snobbery. I don't like how you look at me when you say that. No, I, I mean, I mean, I don't. Okay, I won't look at you. Sorry. It's just, I can't stop staring at it. Anyway. Uh, we'll get that fixed, Ben. Um, we'll take. Let's let's go, Terry. What, what's going so, on in the headlines? This is an interesting story that may affect the way we are charged for use of roadways. What? Right now, the way it works, it is, could be a toll road, or it could be we're taxed, and we just those taxes go to pay for the roads. We're all, we also many states it's paid through the gas. Yes, that you fuel the up gas with. tax. They put a gas tax that mm-hmm. goes to fixing roads and maintaining. Things. And let's be real, many states don't do anything with their roads. Apparently, okay, <laughs> or use that money for other things because right. there's potholes everywhere. A group of East Coast states wants to help overhaul the way America pays for its decaying roads, and it's starting with, as they call it, monopoly money. Oh, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and New Hampshire are proposing pilot programs to figure out how they might charge motorists a fee for the miles they travel. Oh, great. Rather than taxing their gas, uh, as state and federal officials already right. do. Uh, so it says officials would stitch together the policies and technologies needed to count the miles driven by 50 recruits from each of four states, including state legislators, transportation officials, and other will- win- uh, willing guinea pigs. They would send out uh, invoices monthly, and they would collect the data that legislatures and the driving public would require to decide if the change makes sense. So they'll put out some people, test the system, and come back. This is the data we've received, and this okay. is the difference between yeah. how we're doing it and how this next other program would work. Um, it says, although California plans to launch a pilot program in July, also with uh, fake invoices to test the, the program, and Oregon has had success with a volunteer program collecting actual cash, the concept is not well-known or well-loved across the country. Interesting. So they, instead of – so what they, I'm sure, would do, they, they take all the gas taxes that they've ever charged and they will give all of that back to the people. No. And then the tax price, the, the gas's prices will just drop like crazy. No. So it will be like a buck twenty. Not at all. Then they'll just start charging you for the actual miles you run, which is being used on the road. One thing you'll learn – 
is oh. that whenever a tax is enacted, it okay. never goes away. Oh, okay. So the ever Those, so they there find will be no benefit. Use. Oh yeah, because that money will just probably go to pay Social Security because gas well, and Social Security are so tightly connected. No, and then the road tax will then be okay. This makes sense. It'll be used for something else. It does make sense that you should be taxed if it's going to be if the money's going to go pay for the roads. It should be because your tires were on those roads. Pay for usage of yeah. the road. What damage? Essentially, what damage you did to the road. Rather than just a blanket tax, yes, for filling up your car. Would they? Would, and, and really, because if you drive hard on the road, maybe you should be charged a little bit more. And they, or they if do you that, weigh a lot more in your car, they do that with semi trucks, mm-hmm. right? You weigh them in, and then they yeah. pay a fee to transport through. No, the I'm talking state. about we got to weigh in every member that gets in the car. <laughs> I know. And then we got to start saying, "Okay, I've got four in the car." This is an eight thousand pound road. You, two someone's got to get out. Slightly overweight <laughs> and two morbidly obese. And so we're charged the a lot on more. The car, just... Honestly, okay. I get there. I like their creativity. Yeah. I mean, that's I, they're I, looking for a solution. I love the idea in a way. If they would just repeal all the other gas taxes, because there are people that fill up, you know, uh, for their lawnmower. Oh right, yeah. And my lawnmower is never on the road. Yeah, ever. <laughs> it's like useless. And some people like are towing. I guess they're towing a boat, but people like have you know. ATVs and other equipment that, you know, the gas taxes, I'm sure they're going to keep because... Taxes don't go away. No. So it says the latest survey, which covered uh, 1,500 people, was released this month. The institute that is uh, it's called the Mineta Transportation Institute, they're uh, mm. kind of heading this up. They find a, the mileage tax was unwaveringly po- unpopular. People didn't like it. So in the latest survey covered uh, 1,500 people. The Institute found that it ranged between 23% and 48% depending on how the question was framed. Yeah. But in a way, most people – I mean if you're putting a lot of miles on your car, you're probably doing it for work, right? More people like the idea if the mileage tax varied depending on how much car pollution was created. See, they ought to have a pollution tax. Well, they will at some point. I'm sure they already do. Huh, interesting. Okay, well, that's good. Your government did work for you. Finding yet another way to tax you. Pull a couple more dollars oh, out of your that's pocket. good. Hey, um, we now are going to move into this great uh, lesson because what we are about here, we're here to educate. And to teach. To teach. And sometimes you're using words that you don't even know make you sound like a snob. Mm. And I'm not even talking about weird big words. Like pontificate. Just normal, no. everyday words These are that you everyday use. words, but the way you use them make you sound like a snob. And so, Terry, um, educate us. Okay. The first word. Yes. That Matt, mm-hmm. I will give you the word. Okay. You will then give me an example of how you think this word okay. can be used in a snobbish way. Perfect. We'll start with the word dumb. Dumb? Dumb. Well, that's a dumb word. Good example. Thank you. Very good. Very good. That was easy. What about, it says this word can be very hurtful if you really think someone is not as intelligent as you are. Yeah. You could motivate, encourage, or help them if needed instead of insulting them. Okay. What's the word? What was it? Dumb. Oh, that was dumb. I just gave you, see, and then you said it's dumb again. Oh, like, like, reinforcing the lesson. So, like, when we don't think Ben's as smart as us, we should encourage him instead of, yeah, instead of using the word dumb. Yeah. We don't ever say he's dumb. Not to his face. We just act like he is. Um, the w- next word. 
Yeah. Ashamed. Yeah. Well, so Ben, don't you feel ashamed for not having a clue how to run that board? As it says, letting someone Thank know you. that you're embarrassed of them is a surefire way of making them feel like a liability. Oh, wow. We use a lot of these with Ben. We do. That's why I found this very this instructive. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish you, I wish I wasn't so ashamed of him. What about shy? Shy. And yeah. you use it. In a, in a snobbish oh, way. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh. Ben, don't be shy. Girls will like you someday. That didn't make sense. No, uh, but it works, though. Ben, don't be shy. Um, your personality's not as bad as you think it is. It says, nowadays, calling someone shy can sound incredibly condescending. I totally. There was three examples there of condescension. By the way, this is fun. Yeah. This is so fun. For everyone but Ben. How, how many more do we have? Oh, there's a ton here. Uh, irresponsible is the next word. Oh, man. We use that every day. It's kind uh, of- Ben, making <laughs> ice cream in the bathtub is so irresponsible. It's unhealthy. It's dirty. Mm. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Quit being so dumb. Good example. Thank you. Yeah, and you've incorporated other words into it. <sighs> Sorry, Matt. I'm just a little bit shy, so I don't want to. Reserve Make the, it anywhere else. <laughs> reserve the word irresponsible for situations in which it's truly warranted yes. or risk alienating and intimidating those around you. Yes. Man, this is hard, but easy. Be careful. <laughs> Any more? Um, I'll try to make up one that doesn't involve Ben. I it, could try and use them. No, this, just listen up. This is tough. Incompetent. <laughs> oh, my heavens. <laughs> <laughs> try not to use Ben. I won't use one. Ben. So there's this guy. That works on our board, and he runs our show. And my heavens, is he incompetent. Sure, he's a little shy and a little backward. Some say he would he's dumb. But incompetent for sure. And what was the other word? Incompetent, irresponsible. And irresponsible. Shy. Yeah. yeah. If, if Bass the truck driver is listening, I can <laughs> use. I need some help. And I'm not naming names. I'm not going to name names. I could names. use your help. It says this is I a. I name you. Incompetent is a favorite word chosen by less than effective bosses right. who really want to intimidate their employees. Yeah. It's one thing to tell an employee that they need to try harder or that they aren't meeting your expectations. Mm. It's a whole other story to tell them they are incapable of you doing their are job. so dumb. Right. Yeah. See, so these are just little words that we drop in as mm. a boss, right? That's why I'm glad I'm not a boss. But you do have sort of a supervisory position over many people in the I know, building. but on, there's only a, one that's incompetent. Yeah, everyone else seems to be able to do their job relatively well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We may need to talk about that. What about in the way, as in you are getting in the way of what I'm trying to do? Holy cow. So I'm in a meeting yesterday. We always, I always meet with uh, one of our employees um, over what we're going to do the next day right. for sound. Mm-hmm. And Don and I, Don the real boss, and I sit there and we try to just get the meeting done and get it done effectively. But there's this one guy that's always in the way. And he keeps bringing up ideas that are, I don't know, they're just incompetent. It's just irrelevant, dumb stuff mm-hmm. that makes you wonder – you know what? Are you shy or are you really this dumb? And uh, anyway. Wow. 
so we have the meeting and he's always in the way. And so finally we all just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, whatever. And then we just do – we have him leave and then Don and I figure it out. That's good. The end. That's good. I like that. It says uh, if – this is a great phrase to use if you want someone to feel totally useless and insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I would never – I would never say that to the person. Let's try another one. To this guy. Calling someone weird. <laughs> so Why weird. does this fit so well? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. It's like the whole list is about this one guy. You, you know that the weird guy that we talked about? The weird guy. He's so weird. Um, in other words, inferior. Oh, See? <laughs> totally. Like, but you don't want to say, oh, my heck, hypothetically, Ben, you are so inferior. You don't say that. You just look at him and you're like, oh, my heavens, you're weird. It says the word inferior leaves no question about how you really feel. If you tell someone they're inferior to you or someone else, you might as well tell them to just give up. You may as well give up on your incompetent, inferior life. You just can't use these these terms around the office. Is the word weirdo, is that worse? Weirdo? Like you're a weirdo. I think it adds some personalization to the use, but it's still negative. I think it's cute. It says like, an actual, he's not weird. He's just a weirdo. It says, in actual fact, we can all be considered weird in certain situations or circumstances. True, true, true. So it's really unfair to call yeah. someone weird. Like when you're the smartest guy in the room and everyone else are, in being, effect, and everyone else are dumb. You are the weird one, right? Yeah. Then like, look at the weirdo. He's everyone so smart. Else. What about ridiculous? <sighs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. <sighs> Have you ever just had somebody that keeps bringing up a point? It's weird. Hmm. And he just keeps bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. It's kind of ridiculous. Like one time we asked this guy on our team yeah. that runs our board. He's mm-hmm. the engineer. Right. He's on the show a lot. And he's he's like – we like, can you just go get uh, some sounds for, of some footsteps? And he kept bringing in footsteps that don't sound like real footsteps. I mean they sounded like footsteps you know, in soft, I don't know, sand. OK. But we wanted like clompity, clompity, clomp. Right. Like Someone walking. Yeah. Yeah. And – it was ridiculous because this guy, he couldn't find a clompity clomp foot stomp sound if he was the last man on earth with an audio recording device. That's a good example of the use of ridiculous. Thank I you. like that. What about the word, the final word? Yeah. Useless. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's useless to even talk about. Because like it's going to change. Then it says, is there ever truly a right time to call another person useless? No. No. Unless they are. So there's this guy. It says, if you mean that the person isn't working hard, then tell them that instead of telling them they're useless. Yeah. If you mean that a person isn't being effective, then say that. I usually say, Ben, could you just use less your voice? (laughs) Use less? Yeah. So calling someone useless is just a way to build yourself up while tearing someone else down. So true. So I'd never do it. Never going to do that. Well, that's a great lesson. I think we've learned a lot today. I think we've learned that Matt's very snobby. Mm. Uh, uh, what would you say, Ben? Oh, I was just saying that you're a little bit snobbish. So you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Good. <laughs> Again, if if Bass the truck driver is listening, I could use your. He's obviously not. You've already pled. Yeah. Okay, so it's a use. <laughs> it's it's useless, Ben, for you to keep being ridiculous. So take your inferior, weird ways, 
and your little incompetent skill set and get out of my way because I'm sick of you being in my way. This is just dumb, man. And, 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 it's, and it's kind of weird. Okay, so just so you know, everybody, okay. And scene. Okay. We were just acting. That was all acting. <laughs> no one was injured in the making of that segment. Egos uh, have not been bruised. No ego was bruised uh, because Ben doesn't even have an ego. This is a safe space. Some, some people aren't even smart enough to know we just put them down. I, I think we need to communicate that it is a scene before we, we go into scene. Oh, um, yeah, we, we did. I said Matt yeah. was going to act out yeah. these words. That was the pre-scene yeah. setup of the scene. Then when I said scene, that ended the scene. Now we're back. None of no one was hurt. We don't believe any of this is true about Terry or myself or the other six or seven producers on the team. If you had a trigger word relate, related kind of reaction mm-hmm. to that whole segment, it's on you. We give you plenty of warning. We did want to show that people are human, and um, even if they're dumb and shy. There's still people too. Uh, okay, I went back into character, and now I'm wow. back out. Now I'm back out. Scene over. Okay, let's go. Um, that was fun. We hope we've helped you understand the sound of a snob. And I was just playing one on TV or radio because we don't do TV here. <sighs> let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to visit the brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lift it up a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to pick up the game a little bit here. Angel of Music lyrics here. This is a great song. Oh, you got to love this. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See if they can continue the song. Hello, gentlemen. Yo, what up? Spence will be here in a minute. What up? Does this song sound familiar? Is this from Phantom? Yes. Did we talk about Phantom yesterday? Yeah, but we want you to really break into this one. Oh, hey. This sounded like you. Uh, okay, we won't do it. I understand. Spencer's not here. This is oh, usually this is usually Spencer's part right here. Mm. It's like in church when it's like women only sing. Yeah, don't you love that? I turned to my wife on Sunday and I just looked at her and I stuck on like a fake microphone up to her mouth. She got oh, a little self-conscious. Well yeah. I sing the alto part in those moments. Do you? Do you? you go alto there. You you actually you actually reach over in your pew. And you and you put a fake microphone in your wife's face when it's her turn did, to sing. I did during that moment just to <laughs> weird her out. That is great. What what do the rest of the people sitting around you do? Do they just laugh at you? I don't know. Do they just think you're charming and cute? Hopefully, they're just worshiping. You know. Yeah, they are worshiping. Pew what? is such a weird word. Isn't that weird? Because it's very different if you mean P-U-G-H than mm-hmm. compared to P-E-W. P-U. Yeah, I, bru- I bruised my pew. <laughs> I uh it's a sports injury. P U, Dad. Yeah, P-U, Dad. Exactly. Son, we're in the pew, yes. Shh. It's funny teaching your kid these phrases like the other day that you don't say you just say when you're little. Right. It's like, wait, why are we saying this when we're little again? So there was a fly and I was like, Hey, tell the fly shoe fly shoe. I was like, I never say f- shoe flu 
whatever. Yeah, shoe fly. Shoe, Don't bother fly, me. Shoe. shoe fly shoe. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? Thou shouldest shoe, <laughs> you silly little fly. Um, <laughs> Gee, Wally. <laughs> tell that fly to shoe. <laughs> hey, mister. <laughs> Scat. You stole that lady's purse. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, my <laughs> heavens. Where did that all come from? We had a lot of pent-up emotion there. Yes. <laughs> that I was reruns of Leave it to Beaver. I know. That was really good, throwing out the old Wally <laughs> come. Thanks, Beave. <laughs> you are good at that. <laughs> I was always meant to be a 1950s sitcom actor. Totally. You even have just the, the cuteness factor. We were... Right then, when you said that, I thought somebody had hit "Leave It to Beaver," and we were listening to a "Leave It to Leave It to Beaver" quote, but it wasn't. It was just you, Spencer, just pulling it out. Did you guys hear about this crazy vegan attack on a cafe? I mean, a, a vegan cafe. An attack on a vegan uh-huh. cafe or yeah. a vegan attack on no. a cafe? A vegan attack. No, it was. It was. Hey, it was. It was no, a, it, it, here. no, it was like that. It was a meat attack on a vegan cafe. What in the world? I know. What, what happened? They in Georgia. Meat? In Georgia near Russia. Eat this steak, vegans! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they walked in, right-wing extremists walked in carrying um, sausages around their necks <laughs> and slabs of meat on skewers, and they just went crazy throwing meat at all of these vegans. Here's the sound from the actual video. Ah, jeez. Hitting her with a sausage. Oh, shut it off. Shut it off. Shut it off. That's audio from when Spencer woke up this morning. That's that's messed up, man. Save the women and children! (laughs) Now, as funny, as humorous as that sight is, Mm -hmm. like, I have serious issues with people making a point to get sausages and put them around their necks and... Going on the way to like a vegan cafe, ammunition? Like, like their Chewbacca? <laughs> don't you can't do anything better right now? No, we have got to stop them vegans <laughs> from taking our meat. Doing what are the vegans I doing know. to hurt them? Oh, what do you think? Oh my goodness! It starts at first. You ran my mom and pop sausage <laughs> shop out of business, <laughs> Mister Mister. Don't no. make me eat the meat. Now who's going to grind the meat and put it in casings? <laughs> I don't know, Jimmy. Can you imagine you're just having, uh, you're just having a sandwich or a salad or something? You're having a little that'd tofu. Be, that'd be quite it's some tofu. And then all of a sudden it gets crazy. Holy cow, has that guy got a rump roast? Yes, he does. Oh. It's going to blow. Yeah, it went crazy. And so, <laughs> you know, just be grateful, guys. Yeah, do we need Walt Cleaver to come in and be like, well, now, boys, <laughs> it's not nice to wear sausage around the neck and go attack a vegan cafe. You can't. You can't use the You're word. Right, Dad. You can't use the word cleaver and meat in the same sentence. <laughs> well played, Matthew. Thank you very much. It seemed like the obvious comment. Um, <laughs> totally crazy, but it's true. It's true. Yeah, Ward, Ward Cleaver. Yeah. Did you? Did you guys? That's a that's a calling for some uh, in some churches. In some church, if you're in a ward, um, ward cleaver. Um, hey, where's the ward cleaver? We need somebody to separate these two. I got it, boss. Yeah. Um, Pass that donation bowl around. 
<laughs> we are just so weird. Yeah. Yep. Hey, uh, did you guys, that's the way we like. Did it. you guys hear about? Um, did you guys hear about our new emoji uh, Bible? No, let's hear it. Emoji Bible? Yeah, so there's a new emoji Bible out to get Christian millennials to read the Bible, because obviously they're not going to read it unless it's in emoji form. So we put together... That is translated correctly. And it's got to be translated correctly. We we put together our own emoji, um, our own emoji radio or audio Bible. And so give us just one of you. Give us your favorite Bible scripture. General Bible scripture. Can Bible you, scripture. Just give us any one. Uh, John three sixteen. Okay, John three sixteen. Uh, can you just read it for us? Because we actually need your voice in order to get it translated. <laughs> you I'm not, have to pull it up. You don't have to read it. Let me. I'll, I God mean, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Okay, Jesus Christ. Yeah, scripture mastery. You know what? We're not going to do that one because uh, this one doesn't quite translate that one right. <laughs> okay. Um, let me. Let me. Um, how about the one in the Old Testament about uh, you know an angry woman is worse than a bear in the wilderness? Okay, no, no, no. That's a great one. The that's ang- a fun one. An angry woman is worse. Yeah, that's more emoji worse. friendly. Yeah, it is. Think, right? So here's the actual emoji translation. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. that, that's. I, I would say you nailed it. There were only one or two there. That were yeah. Off, but. Well, I mean, and it's hard. You know, you're going to always be a little off. Did you hear the cow? The cow. It was mooing twice because it, it kind of got away. <laughs> it happens. So yeah. random. They scatter. They yeah. gather. They scatter. It's uh, it's the end of our show. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes things it just get away. It was a good run. How long has the Matt Townsend show been It going? is better to it's live going... in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Hold on. We can, we can... <laughs> So I totally missed There's no... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Did you hear the vexing woman chomping? I think that's what that was. I thought I heard a vegan yeah, where'd, where'd you get enjoying the, where'd their you meal. Get the bear from? Yeah, where's <laughs> the bear? Don't ask questions. There's no bear. Maybe I'm thinking of the. You mean a bar? The bear with uh, Elisha. Some yeah. Kids made fun of his bald head, and the bear came out and wreaked havoc. <laughs> Don't ever make fun <laughs> of a bald man. Remember that one? You're yeah, combining totally. the angry, vexing woman with the bear. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, it's well now good. you know the symbol for an angry woman to me. It's a bear. <laughs> it's a bear jumping at the bit. Hey, um, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Oh, none of that goodness. We're going I can to interview a bear. You that. If you want to use the translator, we'll send it down. We are. Hey, uh, we'll let you know. It's Game Show Tuesday on BYU Sports Nation. Cool. Yeah, we are channeling our inner Howie Mandel, playing Deal or No Deal. Excellent. With BYU football and the number of wins they have or can can have or will be guaranteed to have in a hypothetical situation, would you take would you take the money and run? Or would you press your luck and go for more? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll tell you what that number is. Okay, there cool. are twelve regular season games. Okay, yeah. We have we have focused in on a number of wins that we feel is pretty enticing. Hmm. Okay, so it's like if there were a million dollars, because you can win a million dollars in deal or no deal. Right. Like if you had $200,000 on the board. Yeah. But the million was still out there and like a 400000 is out there, but then like a seven hundred and fifty, dollars 20000 50000 were there, would you, would you continue to go? Yeah, you, you got to choose the right timing to get out if you're going to get out. take the money and run. That's good. See, so this is good. playing that with BYU football on the number of wins. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus the baseball softball day, we have Jacob Hanneman, minor leaguer in double-A ball for the Chicago Cubs. He's killing it right now. I'm pretty now. sure he's on SportsCenter's Top 10 like once every two weeks. Seriously. Wow. He's been on there, I think, two or three times as a uh, minor leaguer. He will join us live from the road. 
of minor league baseball. Cool, uh, Also, cool. Aaron Cross, the newest member of the BYU baseball team, a transfer announced yesterday afternoon. Yeah. Left-hander, point two nine zero zero point two nine ERA last year at Grossmont College. So, pretty good. And then yeah. Gordy Bravo, uh, now graduated BYU softball player who plays for the Mexican national team. She'll play in a national uh, or an international competition coming up. She'll join us as well. Man. So, two baseball players, one softball player. Locked and loaded. It's it. a great show, guys. We Big think, show. We think it'll be the best Tuesday show we've had in a while. At least a week. Since last Tuesday. Since For last sure. Tuesday. Since the 21st. Okay, guys, knock them dead and, uh, you know, keep the faith. <laughs> okay. Stay, stay strong. Stay, stay away strong. from the angry bear woman. Stay strong. Watch out. And don't make fun of a bald man. Be good. <laughs> Peace out. Woman. Or a bald Bye. woman for that matter. <laughs> good job. Good luck. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I like this time of the day because my show's done. You know? I can just turn it over to the to the good gentleman down at BYUSN. And then they're locked and loaded, ready to go. Hey, um, i got to tell you this. Uh, Coach the Cons, as you know, we like to help everybody. So if you're going to rob a bank, uh, you got to make sure you're, you do it smart, right? So it happened Saturday morning. Lee County Sheriff's deputies said three suspects stole money from the bank. And then they took off in a vehicle that stood out like a sore thumb. Here's the quiz for you. We're going to make it interactive. Did they leave in a large truck, like a Mad Max kind of truck? Did they leave in a James Bond, Aston Martin type of car skidding away? Or did they leave in a city cab? Yes, folks. They made the tragic error of robbing a bank, stealing an undisclosed amount of money from the bank, and then racing back to a city taxi for a getaway. And while they were getting in, one of the thieves set off a dye pack that was attached to the cash. So they had so a lot of the cash was scattered all over the road. And amazingly, all three were caught not long after the crime and charged with second-degree felony robbery because – it's hard to hail a cab uh, when, you, when you're covered in pink paint from a dye pack. So, did you learn the lesson? If you're going to rob a bank, my friends, I would probably choose a James Bond Aston Martin. If one's available. Well, no, you just, you just would buy one because you're a bank robber and you have lots of money. Well, not until you buy the money. I mean, buy – never mind. Just listen to me. Hey, as you know, we always like to do a little hero segment on the show. Today's t- hero is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, yeah, quarterback. Tim Tim Tebow. When a Phoenix-bound Delta flight encountered a medical emergency on Sunday, the last person anyone expected to rush to the distressed passenger's side was the NFL quarterback, Tim Tebow. But he really did, said one of the passengers on flight 1772. Uh, it was Tim Tebow, absolutely. Um, this is what happened. Okay, so the story went down. A young woman was sitting in front of uh, Sonal, is the guy, is the person's name, raised her hand for help, but she wasn't the only one that was looking for help, according to the account posted on Facebook by another passenger. He said, I watched strangers from all over the world and every ethnicity come to help this one man that was uh, having heart problems. And uh, he said whether it was his chest compression, starting an IV, helping breathe life into this man, or praying, everyone helped that was on the plane. 
And uh, I guess apparently everyone stayed calm. No one was screaming. The flight attendants did a good job. Tim Tebow's appearance sur- surprised everyone um, because the football player was sitting in business class but walked toward the back of the plane to ask what he could do to help. He was helping and, and especially took over consoling this person's family. He met with the family as they cried on his shoulder. I watched him pray with the entire section of the plane for this man that was having a heart attack. We can't say enough about the Delta professionals who care for our customers every day. We're grateful for our customers who are so often quick to extend kindness to one another. So for Tim Tebow and everybody on the flight, they did what they could to help him when he... Um, when uh, they were done and uh, Tim went back, you know, everyone was kind of clapping for the flight attendant and everyone that was there helping the patient. Um, anyway, they were able to get the ch- the person off the plane and to help seek professional care for them as well. So, folks, sometimes it just takes a team, doesn't it? And uh, you do sometimes need the prayers and you need everything else, the help, the support, and just consoling. So... That's what we're here for on this earth. We're here to help each other through it. Thanks for being here for the show. We can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more fun to help you see the good in the world. Until tomorrow, make it a great one.